Hey, welcome to the 294th episode of the Random Podcast from Heck. My name is Tony, and this is a podcast about random things in the world of entertainment, which includes movies, TV shows, and comic books. Big shout out to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken. They are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gmanfromheck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from Heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. 30 minutes more. Uh, this uh, last week I talked about The Mist, uh, 2007's The Mist with Thomas Jane, the movie. I'd never seen it before. Somehow, love Stephen King, never saw the movie. So you can hear all about that in detail and my thoughts and everything. I often talk about comics. I'm probably going to go back to John Byrne's Fantastic Four. I can't seem to, to get away from that. And sometimes I do random comic book off my mind topics. So you can hear all that. But if you can't commit to monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash gman from heck. You can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or four ko-fi.com slash gman from heck. So what is this week? This week's main feature is Renfield. Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Holt, spelt differently. Make sure you you get that. Um, Aquafina. I somehow totally forgot or didn't know Aquafina was in the movie. Uh, So uh, Ben Schwartz, so you can hear about that. I I won't say anything right now. Uh, Titans is back uh, on on Max, we should say, not HBO Max. It is HBO Max still for, for another month or so, less than a month. Uh, two episodes dropped of that. I didn't realize that. Of course, two episodes. Uh, we got Star Trek Picard. Things are whew, things are getting crazy this week. So we're almost at the end of the end of the show. Uh, then we got the Mandalorian. We got Superman. Lois. No Flash this week. I was like all ready to watch it, and then it wasn't there. <laughs> I was like, oh man, because I, I finished watching Mandalorian. It's like I had to watch the Flash now. I was like, well, but is this the the one with with Ollie? Ollie's back. Nope. It was, I was like, wait, my DVR didn't record it. It wasn't on. I looked it up. It's not until next week. But Superman and Lois is on next week. It's weird. Whatever. And then School Spirits. I love that show. So let's get into the news. So uh, some some Star Wars news. Uh, let's see if I can get it all together. No plans for um, Obi-Wan Season 2 as of now. They just they, There's nothing in the works. They said, you know, the first one was successful and all that. But they just, you know, so never say never type of thing. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. Andy Serkis, he he wouldn't mind directing a Star Wars project. He he really likes the universe, and he says he's one of the rare actors who's got to to play more than one character. So he just thinks there's there's a lot to do there. So you know, put him behind the camera. Is he going to be back in Andor season two? We wouldn't say. We didn't see what happened to his character. So um, I I I really liked his character. I thought I thought that there was a a lot to that could be said about him so uh, i i think hopefully we'll, we'll see then as far as uh ray the ray movie whatever to start next star wars movies I'm, I'm just trying to see it was like was there anything other star wars before i get to that i think there was oh the bad batch season three is going to be the last season so there's gonna be no more bad batch after that which is unfortunate, but, you know, maybe that's all there is to tell. And then, you know, who, who knows? Maybe it'll come back at some point or maybe that's just it. Maybe they're all going to die. But as far as, as the next movie with Ray, so this came out, um, I think, early in the week or late. Maybe it might have been last weekend. So I didn't get a, a chance to talk about it. But it's, it's supposed to be 15 years after Rise of Skywalker. And the Jedi are supposed to be in disarray or something like that. So, you know, there's a big question, like, who are the Jedi? You know, what are they doing and stuff like that? Ray is trying to rebuild the Jedi Order. 
And um, she's trying to do it based off of the, the books that I guess whatever. Didn't they like get destroyed, get burned? So she's trying to do it based off the books and uh, like what she promised Luke. So it's like, okay. Uh, but it's like, who are, are there other Jedi? Who are these other Jedi? You know, there's always going to be other Jedi, a Jedi potential, we should say, because just, you know, just because all the Jedi were wiped out in Order 66, obviously you can't stop for people from being born force sensitive. And then, you know, it's just a matter of, of finding them and doing all that. So we'll have to see. Stranger Things. I guess there's going to be an animated spin-off show. I I just glanced at this. I'm I'm kind of rolling my eyes a little bit. I mean, it, I'm sure it could be cool. I think they said they're trying to go for like a Saturday morning cartoon vibe and all, all that. I don't know if any further information has been re- released. I didn't see anything like is it going to be any of the characters we know? Is it going to be other characters? Is it going to be outside before prequel whatever? I'm sure it'll be fine. I mean, I don't think it's just like let's let's try to milk this or anything like that. So We'll see. Speaking of milking, <laughs> uh, Max. So again, HBO Max. They're, they're changing. They're getting rid of the HBO. There's something before where they're like, like, oh, HBO. No one knows what that is, or no one, you know, that's such an archaic term. And I, I, I hear HBO. I mean, to me, yeah, it is. Maybe it is an archaic thing because I think about when I was a kid. Neighbors down the street had HBO. My parents wouldn't get HBO. We, we finally got cable TV, which was awesome because I finally got like MTV and and some other stuff, but. They didn't want to pay for HBO because it was you know so much more for the premium channels, and and I just remember like friends down the street. It's like this was so amazing. You could watch like all these movies, and could, you could watch R-rated movies. That my parents were really cool. Especially my mom, you know, t- taking you know us to R-rated movies. But with HBO, you could watch whatever. I mean, that's how I, I saw like the first Halloween was at, at a friend's house. You know, when I was way too young to see it, probably. So they're just gonna be called Max now. The, the HBO Max, Warner, whatever, Discovery, all that. It's just going to be called Max. All right, fine. <laughs> but again, speaking of milking uh, franchise and that, they ordered a Harry Potter series. So we're going to get, uh, they're, they're starting over. The series is supposed to be more faithful to the novels. Okay, that's cool. I, I, I'm down with that. And they're, they're, they plan on doing one novel per season. I always think that that kind of limits things. Because how long are these seasons going to be? I mean, I guess that's not too unrealistic. Because even if you do eight episodes or 10 episodes, you know, 12 episodes, you know, eight to 12, probably, I'm, I'm assuming they're probably going to shoot for like the eight to 10. 10 is going to be pushing it. But I, I guess if you look at it, it's like even if you do eight episodes, eight hours, give or take, because it's probably going to be a little less than that, is a lot more than two hours plus or whatever than the movie was. So I guess they can, you know, flesh things out a lot more. I'm just looking as like, you know, later, some of the later books get a lot longer than like the first ones. So that's, that's where my concern is. It's like, are you going to break things up? Are you strictly, you know, going to stick to this? Um, but they they plan on, I mean, they, they plan on doing one novel per season for like a decade. That decade, you know, there's seven books, right? Right. And uh, they're they're probably looking at ten years, you know, give and take production, all that. So every everyone's gonna be recast, obviously, if they're starting over. But you really need to look into this. You need to lock this in. It's like, hey, we're looking at a ten year commitment here. And I, I would say, you know, ne- negotiate. If you're listening, if you're a potential, you know, actor for this, make sure you get a good deal for ten years. Because you know, or or maybe make it somehow where there's like a, a you know possibility for increase, you know, not just like cost of living increases, but you know, as the show gets more 
popular, successful, hopefully the actors will be reimbursed for that. Because that 10 years is a long commitment. And I'm assuming that they would have some downtime to do other projects and all that. Because, you know, you could cast some, like whoever's cast is Hermione, she could like blow up and then be like so in demand, but then she's like, she can't do, you know, lead her, these own blockbuster movies because she's tied to this. So they, they got to take all this stuff into consideration. So we'll see. But then the, on the other hand, also it's like, Hey, this is like a 10 year paycheck. You know, you're, you, you have a job for 10 years unless, you know, you're a character that's going to get killed off or something. So we'll, we'll see. There was also a trailer for uh, the penguin. And it looks good. It look, looks better than I thought. You know, when I hear it, it's like, you're making a movie in a penguin. And, uh, you know, Colin Farrell, I always get Colin Farrell and Colin Firth mixed up because of the Fs. Uh, he was great as a penguin. He doesn't even look like him. Uh, but I was like, do we really need a penguin movie? It, it could be interesting. And it, it'd be something a little different because it's, it's a DC movie, but it's it almost feels like, or it's a DC show, but it almost feels like it's not. So I, I think that, that 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 could be cool just to see what, what they do with that. Uh, they announced the voice cast for an animated DC Creature Commandos. So Frank Grillo is going to be Rick Flag Sr. So Rick Flag Sr. is the other Rick Flag, Joel Kinnaman's version's father. So this obviously is going to be probably like a prequel. You know, again, not tied to anything in the movies. They, they could be starting all over. It, yeah, this has got cool and all that. Part of me is like, Okay, that that's fine. Of of all the things, you know, this is like one of the early projects that are doing. You're going with creature commandos, you know, and and some characters. That's fine. Uh, who am I to question it? I mean, I'm sure James Gunn and Peter Safran know exactly what they're doing. So <laughs> we'll see. I, I I don't know. Speaking of not knowing what what they're doing, Bad Bunny, El Muerto, that that sort of Spider-Man spinoff. It's like. Yes, and you ask people who read comics like com like religiously, they're like, "Hey, who's El Muerto?" And they'll be like, "I don't know, is he some wrestler in Mexico?" Or I vaguely I remember when you know when they announced and they showed images, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I remember that issue." I forgot what what Spider Man comic it was in, but they're doing a movie based. On, it's just of all the I, I you know more even Morbius I have to say is questionable. But you, you do movie on Craven Hunter. Okay, I get that. You know, do something like who else are they doing? Are they doing, you know, Venom, obviously. Yeah, that makes sense. But El Muerto? It's like, who the heck is El Muerto? Where's, uh, like, I mean, you can't do Sandman or Lizards because they've been done, but it's just, it seems so weird. But, anyways, uh, apparently the movie's maybe in a, a, a standstill. It's like, it's, it's not really clear what's happening. It's I can't really say I'm that, that surprised. It's like I don't know. I mean, Bad Bunny, he was great in Bullet Train. I don't I don't really follow his music. I don't really know much about I don't know if he was he on the Gorillas album. There's like so many people on the new Gorillas album, which I really like. But I, I don't know much about his music or anything like that. But he was really good in, in Bullet Train. I would wish him, you know, as you know, all the success possible, but El Muerto? It's like, I just don't understand. It's supposed to come out January 12th, 2024, but if they haven't even started yet, I, I don't don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, Mia Goth. So Mia Goth is an amazing actor. Uh, she in, uh, If you watch Pearl, I mean, if you see X, uh, Ty West X, she was good in that. Uh, she was really good in that. But then Pearl, which is like a prequel to X, oh my goodness, that that, that movie is just... It, it's like... It, it's not like it's haunting, but 
she put i mean she kind of carries the whole movie she's like the main presence in the movie but man that final moments is just it's intense and then they're doing a, another one maxine with three x's so she is going to be joining the blade cast as who don't know my little concern with that is you know the blade movie it's it's a little troubled you know it had some setbacks which is fine you know things happen but my concern is, and and I, it kind of goes both ways. So she's she's joining the Blade movie, and you look at like although po- other possible characters who might appear in the Blade movies, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of other characters that we kind of know or or care about, and and by we I mean me. So I have a feeling like she's probably going to play some just random character. You know, she could have a big role in a movie. But it may not go beyond Blade. You know, is she going to have a presence in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? My my biggest fear is like, what if she plays like Blade's mom in like flashbacks or, or whatever, and then that's it. I hope they don't do that. So, but then on the other hand, you know, she does more uh, kind of you know because she did you know she did the the, the Ty West movies, A twenty four movies. Uh, she did Infinity Pool. So it's not like I don't know if it's by choice, but it doesn't seem like she's looking for the pure mainstream direction so when when i heard she's doing she's doing a marvel movie you know that's a lot of people scoff at the quality of marvel and all this so it's it was surprising because she seems like she's seeking more of these movies that that have more substance and i i is that an insult to marvel movies you know i love the marvel movies but that's that's being honest so we'll see, um, but I, maybe you know it's almost like everyone in Hollywood has, has done a Marvel movie or wants to do a Marvel movie or is being asked to do a Marvel movie because that's all there is, and who knows? So we'll have to see what what happens with that. Um, interesting news, or not really news, but information. Jim Starlin he he did an interview and he was talking about he he mentioned that there was like a forty five minute Thanos scene that was cut from. Avengers Infinity War. And and that's kind of crazy to think about it. It's uh you know 45 minutes. And and the big thing is, you know when Infinity War starts, it's like how the heck did Thanos get the the power stone? You know cuz it last we saw it was on Xandor, you know from Guardians of the Galaxy, and then he has it and he just attacks it as Guardians and all, all that. So there is apparently they shot it, they filmed it. They just Marvel wasn't really they didn't want to pay to to do the effects. And I think they kind of didn't want the movie to be like super dang long, like the, the second one was going to be. So they just cut it. But now I'm I'm kind of like imagine they how much I mean how much would it cost to redo it or, or not redo to to finish it and then re-release the movie. And, and I, I would I would 100% go and see that, especially for 45 minutes more. Heck yeah, that's that's like, you know some movies are. Barely ninety minutes. I, I would I would one hundred percent see that. So we'll have to see. Um, I don't know if if they'll ever do anything with that because again the question is how much would it, would it cost? And uh, speaking of cost, so I, I think it was last week I mentioned Marina Baccarin said she didn't know if she was going to be in Deadpool three because it's a negotiation. To me, it sounded like a money thing, and you know she she deserves to get paid what what she deserves to be get get paid. And Marvel might be like, oh, we'll pay you scale or we'll pay it. And, but it's like, no, okay, Marvel, Disney, you have some money. And the Deadpool movies make money. My thing is, if, if you want her character to, if you want Vanessa to appear in Deadpool 3, and I think she even said that. She didn't even know like how big of a role because it seemed like the movie was going to focus on Deadpool and, and Wolverine. 
is she even needed or you know whatever they might be like hey we want you to do this but you're just going to have like a, a five minute scene if that but whatever the, the case is apparently things worked out she's going to be in it and also um what's what's his name uh stefan kapik chick or something like that who's colossus he's also going to be in it so that i'm i i i think uh, marina background she seems amazing uh she seems like a really cool person but i'm kind of really more excited about colossus being in a movie because he just cracks me up he's such a deadpool fan um just just like this guy rich i know he loves deadpool so he's probably really excited uh suicide squad killed justice league uh i wish i had more time for for video games i don't uh so there's been some delays i think it was supposed to come out may 26th it's not happening it's it's being delayed again until uh february 2nd 2024 they want to make sure it's right and is that the only reason you know there's like i think there's some leaks or there's something some reveals and people were complaining about something i think there's like some aspect i don't i don't follow video game news because i don't have the time i should i want to but you know, there's they were compared something like similar to like the Avengers game, and so they're like, hey, we want to do the best thing. We're going to delay, it. and I think that's that's you know, there it's risky. It's a risky move, but you don't want. I mean, it's great that they don't want to just release garbage because you know it's it's got the Justice League name. You know, there's going to be a lot of people. You see the oh, Harley Quinn's in here. Like, I want to buy this game and and everything. But they're not rushing it. They're they're taking the time, and maybe they're listening. Whatever they're looking at reactions or, or whatever. And they're going to hold off on it, even though that means putting more time and money into it. You know, it's not like they're going to raise the price. They can't. So I, I, I applaud them for doing that because, you know, don't don't put out something that's just going to piss everyone off if it's if it's just no good. Because, you know, you're spending 60 bucks on a game. You, you want it to be good. So hopefully this this will be the, the right move. Uh, Resident Evil Death Island. There was another trailer for it. And I, I'm super excited about these. I think these movies are great. Uh, they're just a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it's like you're watching video games and especially for me who I wish I could, and I would love to play. I, there's so many Resident Evil games that I haven't played. I realize there's probably more than I, that I haven't played that I have, which is really sad. I love the games, but I also hate the games. I hate them so much because they're so friggin' scary. The, the movies aren't really scary. So maybe there's a difference there. But I really like the movies and the characters, and I'm I'm invested in the whole franchise universe. So this is cool because you know we have all, all the characters coming back. You know we have uh, Jill and uh, Jill's back. Jill's feeling like some guilt over you know stuff that happened, um, how she was used. Uh, we got uh, Chris and Claire and Leon. Um, something happened like the DOD files were hacked and like or their their fi- files were, were someone looked into their files so there's something about that there, there's something about like this dead orca that was found and has like the t-virus in there and then there's connections like something's happening in alcatraz Traz island alcatraz alcatraz that, i don't know why that sounds weird when i say it alcatraz island so of course people always use alcatraz you know even though they do tours all the time somehow people always gain access no one sees them coming or going building these secret laboratories there and doing like evil things so we have that happening when's it coming out i don't know i think it's coming out in japan on july 7th so hopefully it'll come out here in the states shortly after is it going to be a theatrical release is it going to be straight to video i bought all the other ones like uh you you can buy them digitally and uh i recommend it you know just watch all, all the movies you know they're not some of them aren't super great but it's i think they're just a lot of fun 
Speaking of fun, The Boys Season 4 has wrapped production, so there's no premiere data on that yet. Uh, they're... I, I guess the, the Gen V spinoff will probably air before that. So, and I don't, I don't know if there's a date for that either. So we'll have to wait and see. But the, the boys is good. Always over the top. Um, but see, when I think about it, like, oh, the boys is going to come out. I just think about, like, yeah, how many episodes are going to drop at once that first week? Two? Don't do three. Do not drop three episodes in one week. Kill me. Uh, but this thing, it's, it's like, do, do people... Do, do all these studios think that we have like unlimited time? How do people watch all this stuff? I can't keep up. Like this week on Apple TV, there's a, the last thing he told me with Jennifer Garner looks really good. They dropped two episodes, of course. And I, I really want to watch it. Am I good? I, I got so much to watch. And I, I, I don't have time. I don't know how people do it. And, and I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um, the last bit of news I've been kind of saving the Marvels the teaser trailer I am so excited for this I, I really like the characters uh, I mean Monica Rambeau she's, she's okay in my opinion you know in uh, WandaVision she was she was good I, I like her but I'm a, I'm a huge Kamala Khan fan you know especially you know from the Ms. Marvel show and the comics and and a huge Carol Danvers Ms. Mar- or Captain Marvel fan from the, the movies uh, which I include Avengers and the, the comics. I, I think this looks great, and it looks like a lot of fun. Uh, Kamala Khan, I mean, the, the, the actor, she's she seems she has like so. What's the word I'm looking for? I mean, she's is it charm? It's not really charm. Uh, I, I don't. She's just it's a cute. She's just so bubbly. She's so excited because you know she's just so into the Avengers and. Uh, but it, as if you watch Ms. Marvel, you know there's something with like them swapping bodies because you know I don't want to spoil Ms. Marvel if you still haven't seen it for some reason. But something's happening. You see it in the teaser that they're switching, and it looks like you know it, it makes for some wacky moments, and and I think that's great. Uh, <laughs> I absolutely love the part where Kamala sees Goose for the first time. You know she appears in this corridor. There's a cat next to her. There's aliens are coming, and then. <laughs> Goose unleashes and then she just like screams because it's probably like what the heck? I cannot wait for that. So <laughs> and uh, but we're gonna have to wait because that that's it for the news. No more news uh, uh, this week. So let's uh let's talk about comics at Image Comics. There was uh, Ambassadors number two. So this is uh, the comic by Mark Miller and Carl Kirsch, right? This, it's kind of a weird. So the, the the first issue to second issue, I feel like. Maybe I need to go back and read my my copy of of the first one. Uh, I I feel like it just kind of ended, and it, it was weird because you know it's it's setting things up, possibility of powers. But then this issue, it's like okay, there's kind of like this organization. There's this this person who they they have the ability to to give superpowers, but they're you know it's, they're, they're calling it the ambassador program, and they're being very selective as to who they want. You know, a lot of people are applying, but you know they're looking through all these files and looking in the background of all these people because, you know, they want to pick someone who's who's really, really good, who's really heroic. And, uh, you know, and it just kind of goes from there. But then there's this, it's like this woman in charge. There's just some, something going on with like her ex-husband. And, you know, so there, there's some weird stuff like that. And we see this issue focuses on one dude who does something heroic it was so i kind of question and i I won't get into the details of it but did this guy you know there's a a 
a horrific moment that happens and he, he does a, a heroic thing but it wasn't fully heroic it was a little selfish like why he did it he wasn't just randomly saving you know he wasn't just like oh there's a person in danger i'm going to save this random person it was it was someone that he had a crush on like a hardcore crush so is that heroic like would he have done it for someone else maybe because it's in his nature but probably not i, I don't know but it's it's a it's it's interesting concept and how like the powers are like shared. There's like powers that you can you have. It's I can't even explain it. So you should just definitely check it out. Black Cloak issue four. So this is uh this is by Kelly Thompson and Meredith McLaren. And uh, I'm the more I read this, the more I get fascinated with this world. It's you know all, all these different types of I don't want to call them creatures, species, or whatever, but you know, there's this murder and we're, we're getting more information with, with our main character. Like why was she, uh, exiled? You know, she was married to this, this Prince dude and then something happened and we're finding out more about that. And, uh, I just, it's, it's just a lot of fun and it's, it's really interesting. So I recommend that dark ride issue five dark ride is back. So there's this like evil theme park, you know, the, the, the owner kind of made a deal, with some sort of demon to, to make things happen. And um, now he's kind of re recluse. Is that, I don't know why whenever I say that word it doesn't sound right. You know, his, his kids are young adults and they're kind of, you know, doing their own things and they're running things. Um, but there's like these mysterious deaths around the park and, you know, defeating the, the dark nature of things. And, uh, you know, there's this one girl, her brother got a job at the park because he's like super into horror movies and everything like that. He ends up getting killed, sacrificed. They, they find him, his his body was hung, but you know, obviously something dark happened. So she ends up going later, getting a like a job like under false pretenses to try to investigate what really happened and you know things kind of go from there. And um so it's just really, really fascinating. So a lot, a lot of I you know, this is another series I recommend. So I think the first trade is out. It's a Joshua Williamson book. So obviously um, if you've read anything by Joshua Williamson, anything he writes is good. So it's, it's almost like a guarantee. And then Andrea Bresson, who they uh, they did a birthright. Is that the name of it? That's that long, long and by long, I mean like 40 issues. So that that was a it, it's it's just a great team. And uh, this really cool comic, so I recommend that. 8 Billion Genies, issue 8 of 8 came out. So this wraps things up. And it's really interesting how it just types the whole thing. And, and um, just the fact that it's 8 Billion Genies. So there's some significance to that. And then just seeing like the, the meaning and how things started and how things will end. Because, you know, it's we're like beyond the whatever genie, what do they call it? Not genie day, but... The, something like that so uh i'm 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 really curious to see i i, I can't wait for amazon whatever they're going to do with this uh, i i'm really excited because this has been really cool and interesting concept and you know again it's charles soul so yeah of course it's gonna be good then there is a giant kokju kokju i don't think it's kokju kokju k-o-k-j-j-u um so this is uh Jerry Duggan and Scott Koblish. And um, let's see what I... Sh I'm going to read what this says. Despicable Deadpool team reunites to give the world a giant monster tech story that movies and TVs are too squeamish to show you. This is a tale of woe about a monster with physical needs. It needs a restroom. It needs food too. And most unfortunately, it needs sexual satisfaction. See, I didn't even read any of this before. I'm just like, is Jerry Duggan Scott Koblish? Of course, I'm going to read it. 
the only thing standing in its way are the men and women of science. We're proudly flying our M rating for violence, mild gore, sexual situations, nudity, duty, turds, comedy, drama, and um, some very tasteful swearing. So this is definitely not a comic for everyone. It's a, you know, because <laughs> you got these giant beasts, you know, giant monsters. Of course, what are their remains? You know, of course they're going to poop or, you know, of course they're going to have sexual urges. And uh, there's some things that you see here that you didn't think you, you know, you never needed to see. You didn't, things you didn't think you you would ever see. Uh, so yeah, it's it's um, it's a it's a bit much maybe for me personally, but it's it's Jerry Duggan. I absolutely love Jerry Duggan's writing, uh, and I, I'm I I can't wait to see what, what what's going to happen. I it, it's almost like I, you can't look away. You know, like when you see like accident side of road, you're just like you're glued. You want to see it, which is horrible. Uh, but yeah, and then there is a story here. It's not just you know monsters doing crazy things you know there's how are they going to stop this and and things just go all off and that's the other thing is like they don't hold back people just getting obliterated like it's 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 not like oh we got to be careful you know we there's this building is entirely empty when it gets destroyed but it's like no that's not the case here uh little monsters issue 12 um just i think i say it every time this 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 series gets me like so tense reading it so you got these kids and I just, I know I describe this every time. These kids who got turned into vampires, they got left alone, so they're just living and hiding, you know, coming out at night and everything. And then some of them discover human, and then some of them discover the taste of blood because they were always told not to do that, or whatever. And they never had the opportunity. So you kind of got this faction, you know, the split between the kids because the other ones like we, why weren't we told about this before? They want more. And and then there's this, you know, some human dude that wants revenge you know for people who were killed and who's who's the hunter who's the prey and um there's and there's one issue left after this so it's like oh man uh then there's uh see i don't think i read monarch no um nemesis reloaded issue four um another mark miller book this is interesting how it's like a different take and i'm trying to remember the original nemesis you know i don't recall it like verbatim but it, you know, since this was a reboot, it does feel like it's a different character, like you know, because there's a specific motive. I don't know if we ever got the the true motive of the first Nemesis. So with this, it, it does feel like I'm reading something new, even though you know we've kind of seen the concept before. You know, we've seen the, the character and the name. So I, I'm really curious where this is going, and it's it's just it's 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 really neat. I think just how calculating Nemesis is being, even though he's like he's a bad guy. And you know he's doing all all these dark things, so it's just it's, I think that that's interesting. Um, Noctera issue thirteen. So continuing the story here, the thing that I'm finding fascinating is is you know we, we get some more flashbacks, and I didn't think it would be possible that that we would see more flashbacks because you know early on in the series we saw when the world went dark when this event happened and you know when the the two kids Val and, and her and Emmett when you know the, the trying to get away and what happens to her parents and everything like that. But every, you know, here there's a couple more and, you know, we've, we've seen other, other flashbacks and there's, I don't know why I find that so interesting. It's just like seeing 
how they got from there to here and then where they're at now and then just kind of looking back. So I mean, maybe it's it's kind of like how it was in Lost when we kept getting the flashbacks and then the sideways flat. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really, really digging that for some reason. Phantom Road number two. This is a, a, a weird series. So it's Jeff Lemire and um, Gabriel Hernandez-Walta and uh, Jordi Belair. So this this dude in his truck, he there he comes across this accident side of road, and then there's these weird zombie creatures on the side, and then they kind of get shunted to this other dimension, basically. And there's like there's no humans, it's just them. They're trying to figure out what, what's what's going on. There's this um this artifact thing that now he's he's carrying in his his truck. He, you know, it's a semi truck, and uh, it's like how how did they get back? home you know to their their world and what, like what the heck is going on and uh they actually come into contact with someone like a normal person and you know there's some some answers are kind of vaguely given like direction so we'll see i i have no i don't have no idea what to expect about that and that's that's what i i dig about this is it's it's feels like it's something different because you, you don't know what's going to happen Radiant Black, uh, things are just almost feel like they're getting worse and worse for our characters. Uh, you know, with these these alien robots that are coming, because there, there's a lot more robots. I I is I think that's even what see what's the synopsis says say. Uh, one giant robot, no problem. All the radiants working together took it down easily. So what if there's one more coming? Oh, what's that? Look at the cover. Why would I look at the? Oh, oh no. There's a, a lot more robots and. Uh, yeah, things are are really, really not good for our characters. Oh, I, I should mention Vanish trade paperback came out. So that was Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. I love Ryan Stegman's art. Oh, my gosh. It, it's definitely, I, I think it would be interesting to read this. I almost feel like I should read it all together. Because for me, it was like, okay, who are these characters trying to know? Like, who's who? Is this? Who's this? Who's this? Who's good? Who's bad? Um so it didn't like I didn't connect to it fully, even though I absolutely hundred and two percent love the art. I, I don't know why I say hundred percent so much. But it's the, the story didn't really click to me and the characters and I still don't really know what's going on. And and for me, I think it was just because the monthly so this, this was like a situation where like the non binging, you know, that I always complain about, uh, or praise or want kind of messed me up and and i don't maybe there was an issue that i didn't read you know because of time and i forgot that i didn't i don't know but uh it's worth checking out i would say and then uh there's world tree 33 um so it's world with a zero and then tree with a three three this is a kind of scary scary uh comic this is james tynan and fernando blanco and jordy bellers doing colors here too Okay, this is a synopsis. In 1999, Gabriel and his friends discovered the Undernet, a secret architecture to the internet. They charted their exploration on a message board called Worldtree. Then they lost control. Someone broke into Worldtree, someone who welcomed the violent hold the Undernet had on them. A great, at great personal cost, Gabriel and the others thought that they sealed the Undernet away from good. They were wrong, and now they will know the meaning of ph three four r so fear it just it gets dark because it starts off with this kid where there's something with the under it's kind of like controls you and he's just like he like he knocks on some random person you know he's like live streaming this and he knocks on a random person's door he's like oh hey can you look at this and you show him something on the screen and it kind of like glitches the person out kind of freezes them and then whoosh, slices their neck 
and he's like, yeah, I've killed like 60 people so far or something like that. Some, some crazy thing. It's just, yeah. And then, uh, this fear, there's this person coming and, um, it, it, it's, it's a, it's tough. I mean, there's nudity in here. There's violence, nudity, probably profanity. So just bear that in mind. But, uh, I'm, I so I'm kind of glued to this. I was like, what the, where, where, what is going on here? Then at DC Comics, um, I never read the first, so Multiversity Harley screws up the DCU number two. I think I flipped through the first issue, and it didn't fully grab me. I'm just so tempted, because I, I really like Harley's character. I, you know, I think she can be a lot of fun. But sometimes I feel like it's just it's too much, where she's like overused. And in some of the random books where it's it's not as good as it is as she is in other other books so i'm a little hesitant about this but i'm, I'm really tempted and then there's also batman adventure continues season three i think i missed like a season two so i, I stopped i don't know if maybe i didn't finish season one and now we're at season three so it's i mean it, the this is one if i had time i would go back like right now and and you know get caught up and read all those because it's just is a lot of fun in the spirit of the animated series and it's just crazy things uh lazarus planet um revenge of the gods issue three i did flip through this um i didn't even look at the second issue but so there's stuff going on with shazam you know he's like he's told drained he's like all oh, this like old withered dude um and then there's stuff with with wonder woman and and wonder girl uh uh what's her name now yara yara floor i don't know why that doesn't sound right and then uh someone comes to help them can they i don't think that's a good thing i don't know if they can be trusted so that's all i'm gonna say superman lost number two um i, I don't know how i feel about this uh, i mean i'm really in, intrigued with with the the idea here like what, what's going on and you know it's a uh, you know christopher priest doing the the writing and so what happened is there's like this, uh, basically Superman disappears for a while. I think he was gone for like 20 years, he said, but it wasn't 20 years in regular time. So, you know, he's dealing with, with that. And uh, I think now we're kind of seeing what, what what's going on because, you know, he's like shunted to this other dimension or something like that. I I, I don't I don't really know what to expect, but I, I'm, I'm kind of curious. One thing that was a little weird because I feel like there's some things like we're, we're kind of like jumping the gun. Not really jumping, but like skipping over something, glossing over some stuff. Because so Superman's on this planet and he's trying to figure out like what's going on. Because things are different the way people react. And there's these two different like factions in the world, you know, whatever. And then he's like, oh, I need to get out of here. And then next we see him. He's he's like has this like rocket jetpack and new costume. It's like, where the heck did all that come from? Because, you know, he, he's talked to some dude and he's like, yeah, whatever. And then he like, the dude leaves. So he's not, not like, hey, if you need some help or you need some technology or you need material, here you go. It's just all of a sudden he's off the planet. I, I don't know. Maybe I missed something. Wildcats issue six. I, I'm so fascinated with, with this. You know, I, I'm not like a pure hardcore Wildcats fan. But, you know, I, I definitely read them in the beginning, you know, when, when Image first started and all that. So I know most of the characters. I don't know the long continuing characters when other writers and other volumes came out. But it's it's weird. It's interesting how things are being tweaked and combined and updated and, you know, all this, this stuff. So we're, we're seeing, 
the characters and kind of almost like different versions of the characters, just how they've evolved and, and how they're being used differently. And then there's, you know, conspiracy, like who's good, who's bad, who's using and who using who. And so a lot, a lot of, a lot of interesting things here. So I, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying that. Um, Danger street issue five. <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I have this like curiosity with this. I'm not like totally glued. And maybe it's because, I'm not fully invested in the characters. Like I don't really care about the characters so much, but I can't help. It's like, I, I think part of me is like, what, what's going to happen? Where's it going to go? What's going to happen to these characters? So it's, it's weird. It's like, I care. I'm really curious, but I don't care, but I do care. I don't know how to explain that. Um, and then Batman incorporated. This is fine. Um, I'm just not the biggest ghost maker. I know I say that all the time. So it's it's hard, and I think part of it is because he's he's kind of a jerk, but that's, I guess his his shtick that, you know he's uh, he's he's not Batman, and uh, you know he's he's just he's as skilled as Batman, but he's just a, a bigger a bigger and Batman can be a jerk. This guy's a way bigger jerk. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, and I still don't don't get the whole clown hunter thing. I, I think my curious, but the biggest thing I want to know about Clown Hunter is how does he sound? Because when he talks, it's all like lowercase letters, and every everyone else is like all uppercase. So it's like what, what I don't understand it. Anyways, at Marvel, Bloodline, Daughter of Blade issue three. Um, I every time I read this, I still wonder. It's like what happened to Blade's other daughter? That series that was announced at New York Comic Con it was probably 2016. I think it was the last time I went to New York Comic Con. That they totally got scrapped, and now that character doesn't even exist, I guess, for whatever reason. But we got this new uh, daughter, and um, you know, she's just found out that she's Blade's daughter. So there, there's some interesting aspects of that. I'm I don't love Blade, and what I don't like about Blade is just he's got such an attitude. It's like I don't care. Yeah, you can be a total badass. Awesome, great. But don't be a badass with an attitude like you're better than everyone else. And the fact that Blade is on the Avengers makes no sense to me. Uh, I feel like there's no room for him and that attitude. You know, you want to put him on there for his ability and skills and, and able to, to get the job done? Great. But that attitude where he feels like, I don't know, it's just, it's it's too much. But then uh, a, a character appears at the end to cause some problems. It's like, oh man, but I guess it's what's needed. Uh, then there's Captain America, uh, Cold War Alpha. So this is kind of continuing with with what's been kind of going, what started with Captain America and stuff with the Bucky Barnes, like this this evil group and stuff like that. And we're seeing like who's betraying who. So Captain Steven and Sam, they're getting together and trying to you know, figure out what to do. And it's interesting, but uh, you know, and there's there's stuff with Ian from Dimension Z from the Rick Remender captain america series uh yeah it, it, i i'm not totally loving it and i and it's only because which is the silly reason i'm not loving it because you know you're doing all these setting up all these bad things for captain america and it's like that's not nice don't do that but you need these things otherwise it's going to be a boring series right so yeah it's it's kind of weird you know that that's why i'm not totally digging it because I don't want bad things to happen in Captain America. Something like that. Uh, Captain Marvel 48 is continuing with the, with the brood stuff. I just don't care for the brood, but 
whatever. They're getting a job done, and then there's stuff with binary. What's going to happen to binary? What's going to happen to Carol? Um, things aren't aren't looking too good. Speaking of not looking too good, Carnage. <laughs> I, I don't even ask me what's. <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. How how is Carnage at issue twelve? I refuse to even. Although I'm looking at the, the synopsis, Cletus Cassidy is back. How is he back? That that's a big question, and I refuse to to try to find out because I know he's coming up in the Miles Morales book for some crazy reason. He came back in Deadpool, but then he was like immediately like chomped in half. It was like last week. Oh, I, I don't know. Fantastic Four. Issue six. I really enjoyed this this issue. I've been okay with this series so far. I don't. I really do not like the fact that they put a, a year time limit. Like they're putting this in, in the series. So there's some some craziness happening from the, the negative zone. They're being you know coming out of a portal and maybe in the Baxter building and like that. So Reed's like, okay, the only thing I can do is send the Baxter building a year into the future. So it means everyone that was inside, anyone working inside, uh, the the Scroll and Cree kid that Ben and Alicia have adopted, uh, Franklin, Valeria, um, they're in there too. They're all gone. But then the other thing is like, okay, if someone's working in there, what if they're a parent and their their kids like getting dropped? What's what's gonna happen? It's a whole year. So people are like pissed off at the Fantastic Four because they did this. They had to make a choice, but you can't blame them. What I don't like is then people are mad at them for other reasons. Like, you know, there's an attack happening in the city and they're happen to be back in a traffic jam and they're going to investigate it. People are coming, oh, Fantastic Four, get out of here, you suck. It's like, dude, they're they're helping. But there's um, some other stuff happening. Um, because of that, there's like this, basically this... Uh, interdimensional bacteria that could wipe out all of life and kill everyone. So they figure out a way to kill this bacteria and they have to make some means. Uh, basically what, what, what it, if it doesn't have sunlight for like about three days, it'll die off and it's, it's already kind of spread enough. So Sue is going to have to block out the sun for three days, you know, during the day so she and Johnny go up in a fantastic car, which is kind of nice because, you know, they, they, they catch up and they talk. And so it was like kind of sweet moment. But I what I love about it is like the fact that Sue's doing this. I mean, I, I've said it. And again, it goes back to John Byrne's run, which is another reason why I really like that. John Byrne, whether it was his choice or Marvel or whoever's decision, you know, they set it up where, you know, she wasn't invisible. She was an invisible girl up until the 80s. And then... They uh, change her to the Invisible Woman, which which is great. Uh, so, I, and I think it was John Byrne that always said that you know Doctor Doom pointed out that Sue was the most powerful member of the team, and you know no one really realized that. So I really love that the fact that yeah that that's that's true, and um, some other people take notice of that, and uh, so that's going to cause some problems. Guardians of the Galaxy issue one, this was okay. Um, I haven't been, I did not like, I think it was the last Guardians of the Galaxy series. I didn't really, I didn't like what happened to Star-Lord, how he went into the future, whatever, he was married or something happened. He became, became like this enlightened hip space hippie. I don't even know what, what what's going on. But now they're back and it's a little confusing because it's like they've been in this situation for a while, for at least like a year or so, which doesn't make sense. I, that's what I don't like about the Fantastic Four. You can't put this year timeline because now... Whenever they come back, you're saying that a year has passed. 
you can't put physical real physical you can't put real time limits on marvel characters because you're you're just making the characters older and because uh, you know when are they going to come back we're at, at issue six even if, if they say okay we'll wait because until issue 13 you know when a year goes by it, and it's the same thing what they did in amazing spider-man you know you're, you're putting this time uh, whatever <laughs> it's not not my my choice uh then we have miles morales spider-man issue five so this is it doesn't really conclude but it kind of ends this this first story arc so we had this this girl she was in the lottery to go to the, the academy school that miles is going she didn't get it because miles got it she's really smart and everything and you know she had a rough life i think her mom died and her dad you know trying to do everything to give her what all, you know she could she's mad because she feels that miles doesn't appreciate what he had and because he got the lottery he took away it from her took away the opportunity from her so what does she do she uses her brains and becomes a supervillain, <laughs> which is just so stupid you're mad at at a kid who won a lottery and you're you're gonna so you're gonna try to kill you're threatening him his family his friends you're threatening all you're gonna kill all these it's just you are so unhinged i mean it's, it, this goes beyond like psychological help i mean the the i'm just gonna murder you and people you care about because the school chose you over me that is just just stupid so I can't get into this story arc. Moon Knight issue 22. Um, I saw, I think it was like on Reddit, some people, or maybe it was Instagram, uh, whatever Moon Knight accounts that's filed. Like someone had mentioned how they didn't like this issue so much because it's focusing more on Tigra. I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, I, I'm kind of down with, with Tigra being there you know, in, in Mark's Moonlight Knight's life because I feel like he doesn't really have any, you know, many connections. And, um, Tiger is like a weird choice, you know, whether they, they try doing something ro romantic or, or not. But I, I love the fact that they're basing this off of the fact that they were on the West Coast Avengers together and on all that. So that's that's um, really cool. We also see Tiger and her son, and they kind of go into that a little bit, or, you know, she's saying how Hank Pym's a father, but it was really the scroll deposing as Hank, and, you know, she, she's carrying that around. And, um, there's just some 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 other aspects to kind of the parts with Moon Knight does a uh, play into it. You know, there there's some 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 importance there. So I I, I think that's important. So I, I enjoyed the issue. Then there is a Predator number two. I, I haven't I didn't read the first one. Um, looking at the cover, I think I have a feeling. I wonder if that's the same character from the the last Predator comic because this is also written by Ed. Brisson, so I didn't read that. And my 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 thing with with the the Predator comic is uh the the art and colors again is is what makes it hard for me to read. So we'll see. Uh, there's Silver Surfer Ghostlight issue three. I'm I'm I am not really digging this. I this we have this character this this guy. Um, I guess his name is Go is his name Ghostlight. Did they even call him that? So he was a friend of, of Silver Surfer, and he was kind of like in this um, not a coma state, but he was he was basically like out of out of 
off the board and now he's back and then there's these being they're being attacked by stuff there's stuff with the stranger and aim is aim of all people and the strange what then there's like this evil scientist who's just way kind of over the top and i'm not really digging and there's kids you throw kids in, in a comic that's it makes it a little cheesy for me i don't know i actually kind of read star wars dr afro issue 30 I, I really I'm I'm really curious about the, the character, but I just missed so many issues and I just didn't really keep up with it. This issue it just felt like you know, the only reason I I checked this out is because it was a Hidden Empire tie-in, and it basically plays because Doctor Afra pops up in in the last I think it was last week or whenever it came out where she was like her body she was like kind of possessed or whatever, and then uh, so we kind of see that and more and and uh, it didn't really impress me or anything. Uh, Star Wars um, Return of Jedi Ewoks issue one. They, there's they put out an Ewoks comic, and uh, um, you know kudos or hats off to Alyssa Wong for writing all these different Ewok stories with no dialogue, and so you know it's a way to and you know working in conjunction with the artist to convey to tell the story. So it's really interesting to see all that. Um, it starts off, you know, some are like re- overly cute and then some like the art is like really like kind of dark. And so it's, uh, it's weird. It's just Ewoks. Yeah. So we have that. <laughs> and then, uh, X 23 deadly regenesis. I love X 23, but just the fact that this is taking, cause I don't know if it, they, they must've mentioned the first issue, but this issue mentions that this takes place before. Cause this isn't like current. Uh, Laura Kinney, you know, she's still X twenty three. I guess it was before she was even, you know, calling herself Wolverine. So it's like going back, and and this Kimura character, I just really don't care for her. And um, one of the things, so they send this dude after her. He gets like powered up, and he's he's out there for revenge. Um, his whole thing is X twenty three. So when Kingpin paid to use her to kill all these people when they were using that that bloodlust chemical on her she kills all these people and this dude's brother gets killed because he was there he shouldn't have been there i mean whatever you're doing bad things you're mixed up with the wrong people so he blames her for that even though she had absolutely nothing to do with it she had no control over it and they they refer to this guy by his pronouns they i think they use they which Again, I have no problem with that, but I think at one point Laura refers to him as they, and it's like, how would she know that if she's never met them before? Uh, And and there's been no mention of you know why you know the the fact that this character would use that you know they and them as pronouns, but it just it I, I was a little confused by that. Then there's a X Men. 21 so this is more of the brood and, and it's it's weird because i think i've mentioned this before we have the brood here we have the brood and captain marvel but there is a uh, some connection with them and and we're seeing because the brood are supposed to be controlled by brew so brew is uh, the little the good brood brood that was in wolverine and the x-men that when they had this the gene gray school for higher learning whatever so brew is super intelligent mutant brood and he has, has been controlling everyone because it's like all hive mind 
but these brood have been attacked. So it's like, how is this happening? And we, we see, we discover that nightmare has something to do with it. So like, you know, cutting, severing the connection during sleeping or whatever. So that's why the brood are attacking Captain Marvel and stuff like that. Cyclops is just like totally, absolutely like pissed off because, you know, his dad was, is barely hanging on to life because he was attacked. So he's at the point where it's like, let's obliterate them. Let's let's take them all out. You know, they they deserve to, to die and all that. But he's, you know, talking about genocide. And Jean's like, dude. And he's, you know, so um, she actually takes his visors off you know, with her telekinetic. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm holding your power back. She's like, I want you to look at me in the eye and say that, you know, you want to destroy them all. So Cyclops is uh, getting a little unhinged. So that's it. And that is going to be it for comics this week okay so then school spirits season one episode seven seance anything seance anything instead of say anything uh okay so this episode i think we have two left it starts off nicole's at school she has like this binder full of pictures of maddie like 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 several on each page it's actually her portfolio but there's like a bunch of different pictures on there it's like holy crap Simon walks in and she, she closes the, the, the book. And then um, he's like, did you even honk? Because she was supposed to give him a, a ride to school. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. It's like I had stuff to do. Because remember last time she was burying or digging something in, in, in the rain after the dance. So he's he's like, oh, you know, I, I figured, you know, you were AWOL all weekend. It's like you didn't answer a single text. And she says that, you know, she had an application due and she had to work on her video essay. And her portfolio looks like it was put together by a third grader. So then he's like, he's like, yeah, I hear you. He's like, I have an interview with a Northwestern alum. He's like, and my socks don't even match. So then he says that he hopes that she gets it, you know, because, you know, they're, they're all distracted, whatever. So, you know, hopefully the interview will go well. And, and he's like, you know, they have a weapon. Now they're trying to say, you know, Maddie was murdered by the janitor for a sack of cash. He's like, it makes no sense. Mr. South wouldn't even kill an aunt. So then he's like, what did Maddie's mom think? And she's like, she's very like short and distance. And she's like, well, what do you expect? You know, she was upset. And he's like, well, I'd expect her to be skeptical like the rest of us. Then, uh, you know, her back is like turned to him. So he like opens her portfolio and and he's like, oh, you're a very impressive third grader. And, and then he gets to the, the double Maddie page. He's like, and because uh, you know, she's, you know, when she said, you know, what would you expect? When he's like, and uh, a little concerned. He's like, does she know you took all these? And Nicole plays it off. She's like, well, I, I took a bunch of you too. You're just not photogenic. And he's like, yeah, but this is intense. He's like, it's cool. It's just a, a little Maddie, 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 Maddie. And, and she's like, well, what are you trying to say? He's like, nothing. He's like, just just breathe. Just stop. Stop doubting yourself, okay? Just if they say anything, just say you were obsessed with her. You know, if admissions ask. And then, um, you know, she's like, just tell her that she taught you how to parallel park. So the dead kids are doing mock trial led by Mr. Martin. And, you know, he's like, is there any questions? Charlie raises his hand. He asks Maddie, he's like, uh, did you ever do anything to piss him off? And the, Mr. South, and she's like, never. And Charlie's like, well, maybe it happened during one of your blackout periods. And Martin's like, why don't we just focus on a mock trial? And Wally's like, sorry, but, you know, no one's into it, especially after last year's snooze fest. Martin's like, well, then maybe I could make up a case. You know, like, I have loads of questions for you. Maddie gets up. She's like, well, then I'm out of here because she's, you know, she's guessing that none of them will help her unlock her repressed memories. And Martin like kind of calls to her and she's like, I'm just, I'm not into dead person extracurriculars. And he's sternly says, he's like, Maddie, sit. 
This is like, what is up with this Mr. Martin dude? So he says, or she says, she's like, I'm not also not into being talked to like a cockapoo. So he says, he's like, you know, please. He, he's like, what, what they don't know often tries to control them. They just have to resist. And she's like, resist? She's like, an innocent man might go down for killing me. I don't even have any memories to help him. I don't even have another suspect to point to. I, I've been here for weeks. I still don't even know what happened to me. And Rhonda's like, maybe that's the way it's supposed to be. And Wally's like, Rhonda, can you just stop piling on? She's like, I'm not piling on. You know, sometimes our brain erases trauma to protect us. And and then Maddie's like, well, who's going to help Mr. South? Martin's like, you know, whether or not your memories return, you're not in a position to help Mr. South because he doesn't know about Simon. He's like, we have no influence on what happens in that world, do we? He's like, do we have any sway over a living person? And then Wally's like, well, uh, speaking of repressed memories, and Martin's like, we weren't. Wally's like, well, it turns out our library has this bodacious section of psych books. There's this chapter where there's this bit on how to retrieve memories by triggers. So, And then he puts his hand like a Maddie's shoulder. He's like, we're all going to help you through this. We're going to help you figure this out. So Nicole puts some pictures of Maddie in this like incubator incinerator or something like that and she turns it on then she opens his door and she like watches him catch on fire so it's like what the heck is what is going on with with nicole did i say nicole it was nicole with these pictures sandra is passed out on, on the on her sofa she wakes up and then she looks in maddie's room and her bedroom windows like open a bit because like the curtains blowing so it's like did someone come in i i don't think the window would be open for weeks especially after the rain and everything like that Wally, they're like in the kitchen area. Wally made like a burrito, and then he, because he's trying to trigger smells, he's having he cuts it in half. Has Maddie, a sm- he's like, close your eyes. She's like, I know it's a burrito. He's like, just if it's about to smell and everything. You know, smell the cilantro. She's like, I hate cilantro. Which good for Maddie because cilantro is the most horrific thing ever invented. I won't even get started on it. So she's she's like, I hate cilantro. She's like, Simon always orders it without. And he's like, oh, Simon orders you lunch? She's like, he's my best friend. So, you know, he's like still got the, the burrito. She's like, I don't think the burrito is helping. And then she tastes it. She's like, and it's definitely not chicken. It's, it's gross. They're like, oh, it's a mystery meat. Then Rhonda's like, okay, what's the last song you remember? And Maddie's like a little confused. Rhonda says, she's like, my last was from a transistor radio. You know, I was going into Mr. What's-His-Name's office, whatever the secretary was was filing to. He's so fine by the chiffons. She's like, so that's the last song that I remember. Um, and it turns out uh, Don was there, and, and and they're like Don, like how long you been there? And she said that the smell of the burrito brought her there, or something like that. At the cafeteria, Xavier tells Simon and Claire that there were files all over the house, so he looked through, you know, his dad's files, and he didn't find anything. Nicole's like looking at at them after she, you know she got something to eat, and then she actually goes and sits with them. And Simon's like, so what you're saying? is your father has nothing but that crowbar, which anyone could have taken from the school. Xavier's like, you know, Mr. South was my alibi. If it cleared me, why can't I clear him? And Claire's like, how are you his alibi? Xavier says that he was in the boys' bathroom all last period fixing a window while, you know, Xavier was trying to get into Maddie's phone. And she's like, are you sure it was the whole period? Xavier's like, yeah, he wouldn't stop whistling the theme to Titanic. They look at him. He's like, "What? It's it's a long song, so it it doesn't matter, you know, whether or not if it was because he's he's his father, um, 
when his father needs someone to kick around, nothing will stop him. He's like, trust me, I know from experience. And Clara says something that it'd be a lot easier to save the janitor if they knew who took that video, if they could focus on who took the video of her and Anderson. And Nicole's like just silent throughout all this. And, and then Simon says that they need to find out what other information that the cops have. Claire's like, well, what do we can do? Break into the sheriff's office? And Xavier gives like him a look like, yeah, maybe we should do that. And then Nicole finally speaks She's to, to Claire. She's like, when did you become all Scooby-Doo? She's like, two months ago, you wiped your, your feet on Maddie's face. And now you're what? Trading your pom-pom for a trench coat? Xavier's like, Nicole? And she's like, no, it's weird. She basically cares about a janitor now. And she's like, it's all she can do to save her own skin. Simon tells her to chill. And she's like, no, you chill. And then he like sits next to her and act quietly. He's like, are you okay? He's like, is this all about a portfolio or something else going on? The bell rings before she can answer. So Xavier and Claire get up. And Simon's, he's like, wait. He's like, what if we head over to the police station before lunch? See if we can get into that evidence room. Nicole's like, that's insane. Xavier's like, I'm down with that. Claire's like, I am too. <laughs> and it's kind of funny. She has like a textbook. She just hands it to Xavier. to like, here, you carry my book because they're kind of dating or whatever they are. <laughs> it was just kind of funny. And you know, he didn't even offer. She just like hands it to him. And Nicole's, she's like, I have a deadline. So she's not going to go and help. Rhonda is like trying to sing a song it doesn't sound right then charlie like starts doing percussion maddie's like it's it's not working and and then they're like well wasn't the song coming out of earbuds and she's like oh a version of that because one of simon's headphones or whatever then charlie suggests hypnosis and don's like like oh no she's like hypnosis is dangerous he's like when you're under it's like you have a big vacancy sign over your head another spirit could just walk in and stay there so she suggested they do an anti-seance and they're like, like Wally's like, that sounds like, and Maddie's like, let's do it. He's like, that sounds like a good idea. He's just doing whatever Maddie wants. Nicole um, goes to like the computer lab or something like that. She tries getting the student to hurry up on the computer. And teacher's like, Nicole, he's like, did you reserve a computer for this period? She's like, no, but I started my video log on this, this one. And, you know, and he's like, well, why don't you sign in and check back at lunch? So again, more suspicious stuff from Nicole. Simon has is doing his interview with the the Northwestern alum, and um, she asks why is Northwestern a top choice, and he says that which is this is like a pretty bad question. He says he likes the proximity to a great city without being in it. It still has a campus like feeling, and so it's okay. Maybe that's not too bad of an answer. But then he's like, and seriously, it's it's all me and Maddie ever talked about. And she's like, who's Maddie? He's like Madison. Nears, you were supposed to meet with her today? And she's like, oh, yes. She's like, I know who that is. She's like, I'm sorry. I. She's like, I'm guessing with all that happened here lately, it'll be a relief to leave this school in this town. And then Maddie, like, walks by. She comes in and into, you know, she into the, the, this little office that they're in. She's like, you know, to start fresh, she's like, what do you think you'd bring to our campus? So at this point, it's not clear. It's like, can he see Maddie? Because he seems a little distracted. So it's not really clear if he sees her there or not. The interview is like, you know, what are you passionate about? What's your proudest achievement? And he's like, I, I'm not sure if I have one. And Maddie's like, what? She's like, you read Crime and Punishment in a weekend. You wrote a fan letter to Guillermo del Toro, and he wrote you back. You co-created a podcast and interviewed the guy who, who designed Freddy Krueger's face. Then the lady's like, well, um, well, what's your favorite subject? And Simon's like, I like a little bit of everything. And Maddie's like, what are you doing? She's like, you're, she's not asking what you like on a burger. 
then the lady says that, well, our admission rate is fairly competitive. You know, we're looking for students who want to make a mark on our campus. And she's like, well, you know, have you given any thought to your major? He's like, uh, I'm still trying to figure it out. And, and Maddie's like, Simon. And then she realizes that he can't hear. Her. She's like, of course, one one room where you can't hear. His phone like buzzes and he looks at it. She's like, do you have another appointment? He's like, oh, no, no. He's like, I was just wondering if we were almost done. Then um, Maddie's like, you don't decide when when you're done. She does. So Lydia's like, I think I've established what we need to know. So it's like he clearly sabotaged the interview. Simon goes out to the parking lot just as Claire like smashes the back window, backside window of, of a, with a baseball bat. He's like, what are you doing? Xavier says that she's going to fill out a police report while they search the evidence room. And she says that she's going to say that she's being stalked and threatened by someone at the school who messed up her car. And it can't be Mr. South because he's no longer allowed on campus. So she's about to smash the back window. And Xavier's like, he stops her. He's like, I, I think one is probably enough. But she's just like so itching to smash it for some reason. Then Simon's like, he says to her, he's like, you like strong woman. Is, is that your type? And Xavier's like, yeah, I guess so. At the com- computer room, whatever, that girl is still is on the computer. Nicole is just like, she's like waiting and she like turns away. Uh, at the police station, Simon and Xavier, they run to catch his door in the back as these two officers exit. Claire's like in the front at the, the counter talking to Xavier's dad. Then this officer comes up to him about a phone call. He's like, well, just take a message. She's like, I tried, but it, it's, it's Sandra Nears. She said someone broke into her house while she was asleep. And Claire's like, couldn't, couldn't that be the same person who broke into my car? In the evidence room, Xavier finds a backpack. There's no crowbar, so maybe they're still testing it for blood. Simon t- tells Xavier, so why don't you guard the door? You know, keep, keep an eye out. Then he's like, why didn't I see this before? He's like, they, they practically waved it in front of my face when they brought me in. And Xavier's like, what? And Simon's like, the footprint you found in the woods. And Xavier's like, I didn't find it. Nicole found it. And he's like, well, were you there when, when she found it? He's like, yeah, yeah, no. He's like, we split up in the woods. She was alone. He's like, why? And Simon's like, this is not Maddie's bootprint. Nicole goes back to the computer lab and then she leans into her. She's like, you're done now. And the, the kid's like, why? Because I said so. And then the kid, I couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. And he's like, I have this reserve. And Nicole's like, do you want to live to see 10th grade? Move, douchebag. And so then she sits down. Teacher comes by and Nicole's like, oh, look, you know, perfect timing, I guess. And she's like, um, I, do, I do have a question. When something's deleted off the hard drive, there's no backup or anything, right? And he's like, oh, not necessarily. And she's like, what? He's like, well, you know, nothing's ever really deleted. You just need to know where to look. He's like, the program auto saves every three minutes. And then he like walks away. And then she's like sweating bullets now. So it's like, what is up, Nicole? Maybe you can kind of figure some things out. Uh, so did the three, uh, Simon, Xavier, and Clara heading back to school. But it's like, where did they park? Or maybe her car is, at, I don't know, because it got smashed. Because they walk, and Maddie's waiting by the bus stop, like outside the school. And she's like, where were you? So Simon tells the other to go ahead. He has to take a phone call. Claire's like, well, the bell already rang. You're, we're late. And he's like, well, I got, I got to make a call or whatever. So then Maddie's like, where did you go after the interview? And he's like, the police station. You know, We need to talk about that boot print Nicole found. And she's like, you take that interview. And she's like, they think you're a vegetable. And Simon's like, that boot print had a Doc Martin logo. He's like, yours are knockoffs. Maddie's like, who cares? He's like, well, you might. Someone wanted us to think that you ran through the woods on your last day. And she's like, what about, you know, what about that interview? He's like, what? It's like all the stuff they, that they, we talked about doing, the horror movie society, pulling all-nighters, bringing, you know, binging Stephen King. That was all about us. 
He, he's like doing that together now. He's like, what's the point? And Maddie's like, you can't stop living because I'm not. Simon asks, he's like, can we talk about Nicole and the strange secret that she might be keeping? You know, she's acting really strange. And Maddie's like, it's called grief. Simon's like, or guilt or resentment. You know, she may have a lot of that, you know, towards both of us. There's a flashback. They're, they're talking about going to like the, the horror movie or something like that. Cause Nicole's like saying something and about like a Jason mask. And she's like, how do you breathe in that? Whatever. But then they're, they're both like, you know, you don't even like horror movies. And, but she's like, yeah, but you said it, it's the, the best of the Friday the 13th. And she's like, and I like scream. Simon's like, that's horror satire. It's not the same thing. Maddie's like, and you spent the whole movie with your eyes closed as soon as it started. Simon says that, he's like, you know, you don't, you don't like horror movies, just own it. Maddie says that, you know, she spent the whole movie looking for her Twizzler that she dropped. And Simon's like, you don't even like black licorice. That's Maddie's thing. Nicole's like, well, Maddie didn't invent black licorice. And then Simon mentions, you know, Maddie got a spider ring and then you get one. And I, I think Maddie's like, you don't even like spiders. Nicole's like, well, as long as the legs don't move, Simon's like, you don't have to cop Maddie's style. And then Maddie's like, Simon, stop. And Nicole's like, I'm not. And Simon's like, you turned pescatarian when Maddie turned pescatarian. She gets a purple binder, then you get a purple binder. She tapes Billie Eilish, Eilish lyrics in her locker. The next day, you tape Billie Eilish lyrics in your locker. Nicole's like, we can like the same songs. It's not a big deal. Maddie's like, he's right though. Just just own it. It's It's okay. And Nicole's like, you think I'm owning you too? Maddie's like, not in a bad way. And Nicole's like, is there a good way? And she's like, you know, fudge you guys. And Simon's like, whoa. Maddie's like, hey. Nicole's like, it's okay. You're right. I'm a total, I'm totally a pathetic copycat loser. And you know what? You can watch your Friday the 13th marathon without me. And here's your stupid fish sticks. I'm getting a goddamn burger. And she gets up. And as she's walking away, she looks like she's about to cry. In the present, Maddie's like, but we apologize. And that was like last February. You know, she's not holding on to that. And Simon's like, how do we know? She says that she's like, we're talking about Nicole, Simon. And Simon asks if they've learned anything, it's that they don't know everything about everyone. And she's like, no, she's like, you know, if we're wrong, she'll never forgive you. She's like, let's not go after someone until we have something real. Sandra is picking up some stuff at like the gas station, including some booze. There's like two cashiers for some reason, like the girls like on her phone and, and the guys like bagging stuff. And it's like 25 cents for a bag, which is crazy. It's a paper bag. Sandra barely takes a step and a dude says to the girl, he's like, you know who that is, don't you? And she like, she hears and she like turns, looks at them. And the girl's like, everyone knows who that is. As she gets to the door, she sees like a flyer from Maddie, you know, taped on a window outside mr south is pumping gas at his car she sees him and she just like walks past him he like calls out to her and he's like i i remember you know she's about to get in her car she's like i remember you from the assembly and he's like i know it looks like i harmed your daughter but it's like nothing can be further from the truth she looks at him with like almost like disgust and she gets in her car to leave and she like almost she practically hits him he has like he gets like bump, kind of bumped out of the way mr martin's talking to Rhonda. he's like you know because they, they mentioned trying to triggers. He's like, let me get this straight. You're keeping an eye on her by indulging her? She's like, I'm doing what I can. And that doesn't mean that I don't want to cross over. You know, she's just a friend who's dealing with some heavy stuff. She's like, I can relate. And Martin's like, Rhonda, Rhonda, Rhonda. He's like, I care for Maddie too, but it's my job to keep her balanced. She's been here for weeks and doesn't even have one foot. He stomps firmly in the afterlife. 
He's like, I asked you to help because I thought you were serious about your goals. Now I'm not so sure. So it's like, he's always been a little sketchy. Now he's kind of being like a manipulative slime ball. He's like being, being a jerk. And she's like, I, I am sure. And he's like, you're not. He's like, you're really not. And then Charlie's like, <clears throat> and Mr. Martin's like, Charlie, I didn't hear you come in. He's like, sorry. He's like, I didn't mean to uh, interrupt. He's like, but Don said she's ready. So Ron is like, okay. And she like looks at Martin and they leave. Charlie kind of like looks at Mr. Martin and he leaves too. So it's like, how much did he hear? The seance is starting. They didn't have any um, sage, but uh, Don found like an old Brussels sprout in the couch cushion in the teacher's lounge or something like that. So they're just trying to you know, do this makeshift seance. They're supposed to they join hands and you close your eyes. Maddie's like, all I see is dark. And she doesn't see anything. Then Don's, Don's like, well, I'll show you. She's like, you know, I'll, I'll take you back to my last day, May 17th, 1972. Then it cuts to Claire and Xavier. They're looking through Mr. South's work area. They're trying to find like a calendar or some schedule or something like that. Claire finds one and she thinks that it'll show whether um, he was there when the video was shot. So as as he looks, as she's looking back, uh, Xavier's surprised. He's like, you remember the exact date? And he's, he's like, what is that? Like National Blackmail Day? <laughs> and she kind of looks at him. I, you would expect she'd get pissed off or something, but you know, she just ignores it. So then Simon comes in. He's like, hey, what do we know? She's like, it was just them and the AV crew. He's like, them? She's like, like the cheerleader. They were filming. The AV crew was filming the cheerleaders to do an interview or something like that. Then she tells Simon that she's like, you might want to talk to your friend Nicole. She was definitely there. So Nicole's like super nervous. Um, she's like her foot is like 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 shaking like tapping or whatever don's guiding the the others through her last day her and her friends were supposed to record some song like in a school studio or something like that uh then they come in and they're, they're they're talking poorly about someone she's like in the office like in the back room or something like that and she's like you know listening and then she realizes they're talking about her and they're like tearing her apart, talking about her hair, her clothes, her voice, just like everything. She's like, they were supposed to be my friends. She's like, they were brutal. She's like, so I, I hid, you know, and then when it, they look my way, she, we see her, she like jerked back and this drink spills on the floor. And there's actually like an outlet on the floor, which is really weird. And because, you know, she doesn't want them to, to see her. So she reaches to unscrew a light bulb and she gets electrocuted. And the others just like, they sit in silence. And then Maddie finally asked Don, she's like, are you okay? And Don's like, it should have been them, not me. And she's got like tears in her eyes. Maddie's like, I think we should stop. In a history class, Xavier asked Simon, because you know the time's up, they're taking a quiz or something like that. So Simon comes up, he's like, have you spoken to Nicole yet? And Simon's like, I haven't seen her. And Xavier's like, well, it seems convenient that she skipped class, no? So the teacher, what's her name? She tells Simon, you know, she's still putting her, her jacket on, on Maddie's chair. She asks Simon, she's like, I can't give you extra time today because I, I have an appointment off campus. Maddie walks walks in and then she says that they need to talk. And he's like, yeah, I have an update. And the teacher's like, what? He's like, oh, no, I'm, it's like, I'm just talking to myself. And he's just talking out loud or something like that. She's, she, she starts saying, the uh, teacher says that, you know, a lot of people are jumping to conclusions. She believes in her heart that Mr. South is innocent. And, and then she leaves. So Simon tells Maddie that he knows she doesn't want to hear this. But there's a good chance Nicole took the blackmail video. And he's like, our friend sent it to Mr. Anderson after she stole the number off your phone. And that's why he thought it was you. And if you're going to try and stop me, Maddie. And she's like, I'm not. 
She's like, I need to know too. You're right. We may have hurt her more than we thought. I just don't want to believe that there's no one else I, I can trust. And he's like, uh, hello? It's like, I'm right here. He's like, I'm not going anywhere. And she's like, I know. He's like, I love you, Maddie. And he's like, and that's why I don't give a flying fudge about Northwestern. He's like, you're not going to be there. And she's like, Simon. He's like, don't. You don't have to say anything, okay? Honestly, I'm not even sure why I'm trying to solve what happened to you because that'll probably just help you cross over and that'll take you even further away from me. And she's like, you know, you're going to graduate from this place in June and leave too. He's like, you may leave it before me. And he's like, right. He's like, it's it's just, it's so messed up. And she's like, it's not. And he's like fighting the sobs. And he's like, she's like, you should go, you know, you you should leave. And he's like, you know, we should find Nicole. Okay. Xavier's at the gas station. His dad comes in because he saw his truck. He's like, oh, I was by the school looking for you. He's like, well, it is after hours. He's like, well, I thought maybe you'd be there to make up for the time you missed earlier. He's like, one of my new hires described a couple teenage boys sneaking out the back door. One of the descriptions matched you. And Xavier's like, I was helping Claire file a police report. And his dad's like, no one is going to mistake Claire for a teenage boy. And he's like, yeah, well, they did. It was just me. I was there with Claire. And his dad's like, to tamper with evidence? It took weeks to get that stink off you. And now you're walking back into trouble? Why? Claire's there too. And she kind of like, she's around the corner and she's like kind of listening. Xavier, you know, he starts to leave. He's like, don't you walk away from me. He's like, I'm trying to protect you. He's like, you know, he Xavier's like, well, you know, we probably shouldn't do this here. He's like, well, we can do this here. But if you want, he's like, I'll try to protect you. And the whole world can see you're just a disrespectful loser. Claire walks out. And his dad's like, hey, Claire, how you doing? And she's like, not good. Xavier has two slushies in his hand. She's like, not good. I'm thirsty. My slushie's melting. And I just heard you call Xavier a loser. And she's like, last time I checked, a loser is an insecure bully who gets his kick intimidating people. For the record, your son doesn't fall under that definition. And then she to Xavier, she's like, can I have my slushie, please? Thanks. And she's like, now maybe you can take me home. My parents don't like me out after dark. And kind of looking at Xavier's dad. They don't think this town is a safe place anymore. And she like walks out and Xavier just like leaves. Because, <laughs> you know, she's got power. Her, her parents have money and her, you know, donating money to him. You know, so they could always change that. Nicole, she's on the computer. She deletes the blackmail video. So she she took it. And then just barely missing it. It's, it's deleted. It's gone. Simon and Maddie walk in. And then she's like, don't bother, Nicole. We already know the truth. And she's like, what truth? Like that boot print you found in the woods, you know, was that to give Maddie's mom hope or you get off or, did, or to get you off the hook? She's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he, he's like, you sent Anderson that video and blackmailed him, didn't you? Why? Why'd you need the, why'd you need the money? And then she's like, Simon, you're seriously having a breakdown. You need meds. He's like buying horror con tickets, helping Maddie's mom pass out flyers, leaving a dance to help her. Was, was that about creating some kind of smoke screen? He's like, what really happened? You know, how did you get out of that boiler room alive? But Maddie didn't. And Nicole like doesn't know what to say. She moves to take a step around him, but then he kind of like gets in front of her, you know, sidesteps to block her. And he's like, what'd you need that money for, huh? So you could split town? And then she's just looking at him. She's like, no, you a-hole. So I could be with you and Maddie. She's like, I needed that money so I could move to Chicago and be near your freaking college. And he's like, what? Why? He's like, the art schools you're applying to are in Chicago. And she's like, and I can't get into either one of them. Simon's like, you don't know that. 
she's like, when I showed them my portfolio, both counselors said that there wasn't a snowball's chance in hell I was getting a scholarship. They basically said my portfolio sucked and there's no fudging way my parents are going to pay so I can go to Chicago and hang out with my friends. We don't have that kind of money. And then she's like, did you actually believe I could intentionally hurt Maddie? I mean, yeah, I stole a teacher's number, but I did it so I could keep us together, not tear us apart. But I screwed up, okay? I didn't know Maddie was the only one who had Mr. Anderson's number. How was I supposed to know that? I spent weeks thinking I was the reason she got hurt. So I was like, you should have said something. Why didn't you tell Maddie and I about the portfolio review? And she's like, and give you more reasons to think I'm pathetic? No, thanks. And then Simon just goes up and hugs her. He's like, Nicole, he's like, can I ask you something? You know, after the hug, he's like, where's the money? He's like, if you turned it into the police, they'll know Mr. South doesn't have it. We'll be closer to finding out what really happened to Maddie. And he's like, Nicole, that money could help a man prove his innocence. Sandra's sitting in, in Maddie's room and she and then she has a fat envelope and she sticks it in Maddie's top drawer. So it's like, wait, what 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 what's what's this? What's up? They head out, Simon says that they have to go to his place. And he's like, do we have to go to my place to get a shovel? And Nicole's like, no, I have one in my trunk. And he's like, of course you do. Don calls out to uh, Maddie. She says she's sorry she couldn't help her. You know, Don's sitting in her spot above the lockers where she hangs out. Uh, you know, because she really wanted to, um, you know, talk to her or, you know, whatever. Maddie says that, you know, she's the one that should get an apology for being made to feel like she was a joke. She's like, because you're not. And, and, you know, she looks at, at Nicole and Simon. She's like, I think I've hurt people too. And I wish I would have been there for them when I still could. And she's, she's like, are you going to be okay? And Don's like, mm-hmm. And she's like, Maddie's like, you're a good friend. And then Maddie walks like away after them. Don like looks at her and the lights kind of flicker a little bit. Wally, Charlie and Rhonda are walking. So Wally's looking for Maddie to see if she's okay. Rhonda jokes that maybe she went to talk to Simon. And he's like, what? She said that, you know, she noticed that Wally winces every time that he's mentioned. Charlie asks if anyone's seen Don since the seance because, you know, they went by the locker, the spot. She's not in her spot. Wally's like, that's weird. And then the lights flicker some more. And then there's like a high-pitched noise. Mr. Martin, like, looks up from where he's at because he's he's hearing it too. Lights get brighter. And then all three, they're like, did you feel that? It's like, yeah, goosebumps. They're like, Don just crossed over. And Wally's like, does anyone remember that this happening when Janet left? And Rhonda's like, nope. Nicole's digging and she's like, it was right here. Simon's like, well, maybe it was another spot. She's like, no, I know I I put it in a garbage bag and I buried it right here. Simon's like, well, maybe you were followed after the dance. She's like, no. She's like, I didn't come after the dance. She's like, I was at Maddie's mom's house, remember? She's like, I came here straight from Sandra's. And Maddie's able to watch them from the other side of a fence, you know, on the school property. And then Simon's like, did she follow you here? And Nicole's like, why would, you know, why would Sandra take the money? So Maddie's stinging back to her mom, like driving to school when she like hits the, the curb or whatever. And then there's another time her mom's yelling at her. She's like, you're being a brat. And she's like, that belongs to me. And she's like, you need to get over it. So I think it might have something to do with her necklace because there's a shot earlier of, of uh, Maddie walking and like kind of holding her necklace in her hand. And then when she's yelling with her mom, she doesn't have the necklace on. Simon is asking like if anyone saw her walk there and she's like no and it was it was raining too so it's like how could anyone see then Maddie sees someone in the shadow and she's like calling out to Simon but he can't hear her Nicole says that you know she made sure no one followed her and then she hears a twig snap she's like do you hear that 
She shines her light over there. Simon grabs a shovel and just runs to see who's there. And Maddie screams. She's like, no, stop. Because if that's the killer, I mean, it, you're going to kill Simon. There's more like flashes of arguing with her mom. And then Wally, Charlie, and, and Rhonda walk up and they ask if she's okay. And Charlie's like, what's going on? And Maddie's like, I need to talk to my mother. And Rhonda's like, why? She's like, I think she might have killed me. Which, okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like crazy. And he's like, what the heck? But this is what I'm saying. Every episode ends with like, dun, 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 like another suspect. And I mean, Nicole, they're making it look like Nicole. With, what the heck is she bearing? She has a shovel in her car. Come on. And in this whole episode is like playing into that. And we find out, okay, Nicole didn't do it. She she did blackmail. She did get the money. And that now we know, now it makes sense. Because why did Ander, Anderson thought he actually paid her? He says he told Claire he paid her, but he didn't. So it's like, wh- why would he say he paid her when he, you know, so now we know. But who is that in the shadow? And if it was Sandra, I, I mean, it's, it's not Sandra in the woods. Why would she have followed Nicole? Because Nicole took Sandra home. Oh, wait, no. She went... She went to her house after the dance, and then she left. Why would Sandra follow her unless she thought maybe Nicole knew something? So she's like, well, maybe I should follow her because maybe she's going to go talk to Maddie. So maybe if I follow her, I'll see like where Maddie's hiding. Maybe that's it. And then she sees Nicole bury something, and then she digs it up, and then she finds the money. Maybe? Okay, and then Superman and Lois see the... Season three, episode five, head on. So Lois is packing for a chemo session. She mentions uh, to the boys that she'll be back to help chaperone the Valentine's Day dance. But they're like, well, maybe you should just rest after. And, and she's like, this is my only chance to see you in something other than hoodies and tennis shoes. And she's like, and so to make me happy, dress up in a suit and maybe comb your hair. Jordan's like, well, I would, but Candace always in the bathroom. And Lois reminds them that, you know, she's their guest during the kitchen. She's like, you know, Candace is their guest. And Jonathan says that, you know, she is looking for a place, but it's taking longer than they, they thought. Uh, Jordan says that he's like, I'm starting to think Candace is my mortal enemy. Then Candace comes in and she's happy that Lois is still there. And she's like, oh, I, I made you something for, you know, it's like, I don't know what it was. It was like a heart shaped something. I don't know if it was a candle or cookies or something like that. <laughs> And Lois is like, oh, that's so sweet. And Jordan just kind of glares at her. And Candace also thanks her for taking her dress shopping, you know, for the dance. And then she's like, oh, and you're you're gonna crush it today at, at chemo, or whatever. And Jordan's just like, Ugh. so Sam is he, he just pulled or pulled out. He has like a couple like ATVs in the back of a, like a trailer. Him and Nat are gonna go like driving around. He thanks Clark for letting them use his land. He's like, sure, any anytime. And then Sam says that. He's he's like I have to mention it. He's like I'm not okay with Lois getting treatment at Bruno Mannheim's you know place, and she should be focused on, on you know beating this thing, and you know Mannheim stole Clark's blood, tried to blow up John Henry's sister, and he's he's like well at least you know keep her away from the kids dance you know she should be home resting. Clark says that she has her heart set on going so. You know, they'll have to trust that she does what's what's right for her. She comes out and asks her dad, he's like, are, are you still mad that I'm going to Hobbs, Hobbs Bay Medical Center? And Sam's like, I'm just here to support you any way I can. 
and you know, Clark gives like a little like nod and approval because rather than argue with Lois, he's just like, okay, you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm here. And so she looks at him and she's like, well, I'll see you at the dance. At Hobbs Bay Medical, they sit in the waiting room and then someone comes out, then take her blood pressure, take a blood sample, do some tests, all the stuff like that. Uh, Clark and Lois are in the hallway. They're looking at all these like handmade thank you cards and stuff like that. Then it's uh, time for she gets an injection. She's about to get the, the chemo. Clark sitting across from her is like, so I don't know how chemo works. I thought it was like radiation, like zapped. I thought it was kind of like when you get a cat, was it a cat scan when you go in a big tube, whatever that is. Um, but I guess the chemo is like in an IV bag or something like that. Cause she's sitting there and, and you know, they stick the needle in her and in, in her arm or whatever. And I guess it's going into her. I don't know. And she's like, it's not so bad here, huh? And Clark's like, not so bad. Lana and Sarah having a meal at the diner. Lana comments. She's like, oh, it's so nice. It's just the two of us. And Sarah's like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, she's distracted by her phone or something like that. Then Lana's like, are you excited for the dance? And she's like, yeah, she's like, well, not really. And she's like, it's, it's weird that it's not at the school. She's like, what's the loyal order to Bison's? And Lana, she kind of like chuckles. She says that, you know, they were kind enough to loan their banquet hall for the evening because, you know, the school is full of mold and all that. Then Lana's phone buzzes because um, Chrissy wants a statement about the town hall construction delay. And the reason there's a delay is because Lana's using the money to fix the school. Then uh, this Junior, this kid Junior comes up. He's uh, the Mayor Dean's son. He he he. At first, he he looks like he's a little little confused or something like that. And he 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 walks up to their booth, and Lana's like, "Oh, how are you and your your mom holding up?" And he's like, "Don't act like you care." And she's like, "Of course I care." He's like, "Really?" Because now that my dad's dead, you're acting like he was never the mayor. She's like, I issued a statement, which was a joke. You didn't mention any stuff that he did for the people around here. And Sarah's like, come on, Junior. She's like, we're all friends here. And he's like, you and I haven't been friends for like 10 years. And then Alana, he's like, I know you cheated to beat my dad. <laughs> which is like, where are you getting from? She's like, that's not true. He's like, whatever. And he walks out and Sarah like scoffs at him. It's like, what a loser. She issued a statement. It was like, what is she? It's, she's not in charge of writing his obituary just because she's a mayor. It's like, why does she have to say anything about him? And he he was shady. He got killed because he was mixed up in whatever. I, I guess he was mixed up with Bruno Mannheim because, you know, Anamanapea came and killed him. And plus the fact that she almost got killed too. So because of his mess, I know you cheated. And, and the thing is, he does not look like a high school kid. You know, because he he says a lot of they haven't been friends. Like, well, maybe because you know she was still in elementary school and you're graduating high school. Like, how old are you? Nat and Sam are driving around, you know, in the ATVs, and Sam's like, "Last one home buys lunch." So Nat kind of looks at him and she she smokes him. She takes off. He when he finally pulls up, he, she's like, "You are so lucky. I'm vegan. Otherwise, I'd be ordering a big fat steak." So he laughs, and there's a, some like SUVs at the at the house. Sam's like, "An idea? Who's with Jordan?" So Jordan comes out. He's like, "Hey, Nat, check out who I found in town looking for you. It's the boy from the party, Mateo." Clark asks Lois, "She's like, are you sure about this?" And she says that if she can get access to Doctor Hook's files, then they can probably finally find out find out what <laughs> what Nat, I don't know what's, what I'm saying here. She can they can finally find out what Mannheim's up to. And he's like, well, the nurse mentioned that anti-nausea medicine might make you drowsy. So, you know, maybe I should be the one doing investigating. 
And she's then Lois is like, or being a patient here will allow me to move around more freely and undetected. She's like, while you stay here. And he's like, and do what? She's like, cover for me. So she gets up and she takes like her IV drip with her. So it's like, I don't know what she's thinking. And then in the, like the lab basement, whatever the evil lab, some dude's getting injection from, from the doctor. I, I, I think this is Dr. Hook, the same Dr. Hook. Bruno walks up and dude's like, I need more. And he's like, this stuff is the only thing keeping me alive. Bruno's like, oh, it's doing more than that. So I think this is that the Stefano dude that that was they had files that he was released from prison or something like that. I don't know. Bruno asks him, he's like, are you clear what you have to do? And he's like, I'm clear. He puts on this mask and he like phases through the wall. He kind of like is able to like walk through it. So like, okay. Sam, <laughs> he's like spying on Nat Mateo. He's like looking out the window. And he asked Jordan, he's like, where'd she meet this Joker? And Jordan's like, Metropolis. And Sam's like, where? A party. And he just showed up in Smallville on what, a hunch? Jordan's like, actually, he found Sarah online and asked for Nat's number. She thought it'd be better for him to come in to Smallville and ask Nat in person. Sam is just like going on about his Jordan. He's like, and you brought him here? He's like, you're ditching every safety protocol, leading him straight to the farm. And he's like, well, he seems like a cool guy. He's like, a cool guy, right. <laughs> so Sam's so funny. He's like, just so so bitter or whatever. So whatever, paranoid. Outside, Matteo's like, I got to be honest. He's like, that dude's kind of freaking me out. Because <laughs> he, he, Sam's so, like, so obviously like, you know, looking at them. He's, he's back at the window. She's like, oh, he's probably just wondering why you're here. Matteo's like, why would he even care? She's like, well, he's like part of my adoptive family. She's like, it's, it's complicated. And he's like, well, then I'll, you know, do my best to try to make a good impression. He he was said he was super nervous about making an appearance, and she says, that, well, she'll definitely give him her number this time. Then he's like, the movie theater in town is showing Dumb Einstein, and she just like looks at him. He's like, we can go or not. She's like, well, I have this Valentine's dance at my school that I have to go to, and he's like, oh. She's like, well, I I'd ask you to go, but and he's like, you have a date. She's like, no, 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 it's it's a formal and you're not really dressed up. Then Mateo's like, okay, I'll buy a suit. I'm sure there's some place in town that could hook me up. And she's like, it seems like a lot for just a high school dance. He's like, it's not just a high school dance. It's a high school dance with you. It's totally worth it. She's like, okay. I was like, does this kid come for money? Clark is like just standing waiting. Uh, there's these two other ladies like in the other other chairs. So one's like, why don't you sit down? She's like, you're making me nervous. And he's he's like, oh, no, no. He's like, I'm not getting the chemo. And then it's, I think they recognize that you know he's like, I'm we're here with my wife. And they're like, oh, Lois Lane. And they're like, what does she have? And it's stage three, whatever, all that. And then one asks, is this her first round? He's like, it's her second. You know, the first was at that other place. He's like, she's doing great. Then the other lady's like, how are you doing? And he's like, uh, I just want Lois to get better. And they're like, oh, looks like we got another one. She's like, just like every other spouse. And she's like, have a seat. Lois is like walking around. And this nurse like, can I help you? And she's like, oh, I'm just dropping off lab results, which is like weird. The nurse is like, oh, okay. First door on the right. Then uh, she sees, Lois sees a security badge like hanging on a, like a, a, a coat rack or something like that. So she's going to take it. Kyle's like changing a tire in his truck on the side of the road. Jonathan pulls over. He's like, oh, Mr. Mr. Cushing, do you need a hand? Kyle's like, you know, I've been here for a bit, and cars just been driving by. He's like, you're the first one to stop. Johnson's like, well, I just want to make sure everything was all right. Kyle's like, you know, 
I'd lo- that's what that's the same thing I do. Then then he's like, you know, we've been swamped at the at the station at the fire station. He's like, we could use an extra set of hands if you're interested. And he's like, you're the right age and all. Jonathan's like, seriously? And he's like, yeah, cool. He's like, um, but I, I work during the week. Kyle's like, well, if your weekend are your weekends free? He's like, yes, sir. Kyle's like, okay, stop by next Saturday and we'll take it from there. In Lana's office. She's talking to Chrissy about how Junior was so angry. She's like, it was like I was the bad person, not his dad. Chrissy said that you know she's afraid that Junior's not the only person who feels that way. There are so many questions about what happened to Dean. People are, are looking for someone to blame. Lana's like, well, why blame me? She's like, I had nothing to do with it. Chrissy says, yeah, but you're political rivals. You know, People see that and they sort of run with it. Lana's like, well, if people could only see how crooked D- Dean really was. Chrissy's like, well, objectively, he did do a lot of good for the town. Lana's like, well, trust me. He's like, the bad definitely outweighs the good. She's like, I have proof. He was robbing the people blind. Chrissy's like, well, you know, unless they know the truth, they're going to keep blaming you. She's like, if you want, you know, I-, I can help clear the air. And Lana just like sits back and she's like, thinks about it. It's like, hmm. Then the, the two ladies tell Clark that, you know, they've both been through this before. One says, you know, five years ago, she did the whole thing, radiation surgery, and was in remission until it came back. And Clark's like, oh, I'm you know, so sorry to hear that. And that's the thing. This, this dude, man, he's, it's like he's such a good Superman, such a good Clark. It's like you can just you, – it just feels like he just cares about everyone. The other lady said that, you know, she's been on both sides of the chair. You know, she, she was there where Clark is with her daughter, you know, she had breast cancer, took her three years ago this month. And she's like, she would have been 37. And Clark's just kind of like speechless. And then he's like, she was so young. And then the, the the lady, she's like, her doctor said the same thing, you know, not to worry, you know, it'll be fine. And then um, he asked the other lady, he's like, is she okay? Because she's like out. And the first lady's like, oh, that's just a chemo kicking in. And then there's a pause. And he's like, I'm... I'm really sorry about your daughter. And she whispers. She's like, me too. Lois enters an office. She goes to the computer. She, she's like looking up files. She's like, where's Henry Miller? Whatever. Then Bruno flipping Mannheim walks in. Got handed to you. Come to my hospital for treatment so you can investigate me at the same time. So it's like, crap. What is Lois? There's no way out of this. She's just like, where's Dr. Hook? And Bruno's like making rounds, seeing patients. She's like, we both know that's not true. And Bruno's like, well, I could have a nurse track him down if you'd like, but all the sneaking around is unnecessary. You want to know something? Just ask. And Lois is like, well, what I know is you have Superman's blood and that you're having Dr. Hook somehow use it to somehow make powered people. And he's like, this again. People who are dying, like Henry Miller. And he's like, you know, your friend Superman accused me of the same thing. This is a cancer treatment facility. The only thing I'm trying to do here is save lives. Lois is like, I have been writing about you long enough to know that nothing, nothing happens in South Metropolis unless it benefits you. He's like, if you want something to write about, he hits like a key fob thing, like the the big curtain things around the office open up. He's like, this is a state-of-the-art research lab. He's like, follow me. At the dance, Sam's like, at a little table, you know, standing there with Jordan. He's like, I don't understand why your mother wanted to come to this. He's and Jordan's like, well, didn't you go to dance? He's like, I was a junior ROTC or something like that cadet. And it's like, I didn't have time for dating or dances. George's like, well, maybe it's not too late for you then. Nat and Mateo walk in. He says, he's looking at, he's like, this is exactly how I would picture it. 
Sarah um, comes up to him. She's like, you made it. Nat's like, yeah, somehow he tracked me down, drove here and bought a suit. Mateo's like, best wing woman ever right here. He's talking about Sarah. Clark's still waiting. And then the, the second lady says that his wife must be having a hard time sitting still. And he chuckles. And then the lady's like, that'll change. But the, that instinct will come in handy down the road. First lady's like, oh, don't scare him. Clark's like, no, it's okay. So the second lady's like, everyone calls it something different, experiences it in their own way. But the pull, as I call it, happens to anyone who sits in this chair. This disease, it tests every part of you mentally, physically. And at some point, you get this feeling, this pull. It's just so much easier if you just let it go. doesn't mean you don't love the people in your life. It just feels easier. That feeling to, to give into the disease, it gets so strong. So this drive that your wife have, she's going to need it to, to use all that energy to survive. Then the first one's like, she's not wrong. This nurse comes in, checks on the ladies, and she's like, and where's your wife? <laughs> it's a good question. Back at the dance, Lana gives an announcement. The mold situation is almost solved, so their school and their lives can return to normal pretty soon. Junior's there, and he gets upset. Because his life's not returning to normal because his dad was an evil jerk. So he walks out. Sarah tells Nat Mateo, she's like, she's like, you two should dance. I'll be right back. So she goes out after Junior. Candace comes up to Jonathan. She's, she's like, I have some news. She's like, my aunt said I could live with her. He's like, oh, yeah, in Topeka. He's like, Topeka, like four hours away? She's like, well, we can still see each other on weekends. He's like, yeah, it's you know, good thing I have my truck now. And they go onto the dance floor. Mateo says that he's really glad he came. And Nat's like, me too. He's like, you look so beautiful. She's like, you said that already. He's like, I just want to make sure you heard me. Then he leans in for a kiss. And she like kind of backs off. And she like looks at him. Like, like dude, what are you doing? And she just like walks out. Sam and Jordan happen um, to be like right behind them. And Sam's like, so much for the cool guy, huh? So then it's like, oh, crap, he's going to go give Mateo the business. But he actually walks past him to, to go after Nat. Bruno's still with Lois. He says that he built this place to help his community. She's like, your community? He's like, when, when I was 14, he said his, his mother fell ill. He, you know, they couldn't figure out why. Turns out the whole neighborhood was built next to this, like a chemical dump or something like that. No one cared. When she died, he knew that no one was coming to save them. So he decided to do it himself. So everything that she sees is an extension of that belief. He'll do anything in his power to save her life. But if she tries to stop him from saving the people that he loves, that's something he won't allow. Then there's like a knock behind him. And Clark's like waving through the, the, the glass window like on the, on the door. Bruno's like, you should get back to the treatment center. He's like, I'll have my people send over all of Dr. Hook's research files. And he just like walks off. Then after uh, back at the farm... Clark tells her, he's like, slow down. And she's like, I am going to scour every square inch of Dr. Hook's files. She's like, getting treatment at Hobbs Bay was exactly what we needed. And she's like, come on, the dance already started. So it's like, slow down, Lois. Jonathan goes up to Kyle and he's like, um, is it possible I could volunteer during the week? Kyle's like, but uh, you work at the general store. And then he's he's like, oh, I get it. You want your weekends free? You know, He's like, well, maybe this isn't the right fit for you. Jonathan's like, well, it just, it turns out I had another commitment popped up. Kyle's like, well, you'll just have to figure out which is more important to you. And um, he looks at, Jonathan looks at Candace. She's like talking to a friend, you know, probably saying that she's leaving, whatever. And he just like kind of like walks past her. 
Sam goes up to Nat. She's outside. And he's like, say the word, and I'll scare the living hell out of that kid. And Nat's like, no, he didn't do anything wrong. It's me. And then Sam, he kind of like hesitantly asks, he's like, uh, do you want to talk about it? She says, you wouldn't understand. He's like, maybe not, but I could try. He sits next to her. She says, she's like, I've never kissed anyone before. I mean, I've never dated anyone before. It's like, now there's this guy inside who really likes me and I really like him, but I'm just so far behind everyone when it comes to this kind of stuff. Then Sam's like, the last time I had anything resembling a relationship was the night my wife left me. He's like, that was over 30 years ago. And she's just like, like, looks at him like, what? He's like, you get to be my age, you start to feel behind everyone and everything, especially in a romance department. And she's like, I can't go back in, in there. He's like, he's going to think I'm some kind of weirdo. Sam's like, the way that kid's been looking at you all day, there's nothing you could do to make him think that. She's like, why am I so scared? He's like, because love is scary, but you are the toughest kid I know. It's like, you can do this. And she's like, thanks, Grandpa. And she hugs him, which is like such touching thing. She called him Grandpa because he's not a grandpa, but he is. Uh, Junior's sitting outside in the back of his truck. Sarah's like, Junior, it's like, I, I saw you leave after my my mom you know talked i just want to see if you're okay she sits next to him you know in the back and then he's like <laughs> he, he he gets ready to do like his face starts scrunching up he's gonna ugly cry he's like i miss him sarah i miss my dad and she's like junior come here she like pulls him and then he just like starts sobbing in her shoulder jonathan's outside at his other place you know the little table there candace comes and she's like you're gonna ignore me on my last night in smallville so you know she comments that you know she knows that long distance relationships normally don't work, but with everything they've been through, it's like surely they can make it. He's like, you know, that that thing I told you about at the firehouse, Mr. Cushing says that he could only use me if, I, if it was on a weekend, which means the only way I could see you is if, and she's like, if you turn it down. She's like, you can't do that. He's like, I have to. She's like, no, you don't. Jonathan's like, I want to see you. And Candace's like, well, I want to see you, but what you've done for me, what your family has done for you, you've sacrificed so much for me. It's like, you're not turning this down. Jonathan's like, so when are we going to see each other? She's like, we'll figure something out. And Jonathan's like, I love you, Candace. She's like, I love you too. Smooch. <sighs> and then they just sit like with their heads, you know, foreheads touching. Kyle says like, to Chrissy, I know we went to high school at different times. They're like in the back of the in, inside. He's like, but were your dances always this boring? And she's like, mm, yeah, pretty much. Then Lois comes up to him. And you can see, um, she's like, hey, you guys. Chrissy like kind of tenses a little bit. Lana's like, have you seen Sarah? Kyle's like, nope. Shakes his head. And Lana's like, oh, I'm going to go find her. Chrissy's like, you know, maybe I should get going. And Kyle's like, no. He's like, I think Kush could use your help with something. And he like takes off his jacket, starts rolling up his sleeves. She's like, did you just refer to yourself by your own nickname? He's like, I believe I did, yes. He goes up to the DJ, and then he's in the middle of the dance floor. He starts dancing because uh, Jesus and Mary Chain's head-on starts playing. And then Chrissy says to her, she's like, what are you doing, Chrissy? And she goes out there on the dance floor. Kids start they're, they're looking at that. They start going out there. The floor is packed now, which I don't think it would work like that. But Lois is getting ready. She's getting dressed. And she feels a lump on, like, on her, her chest. Uh, which you can like actually see it. It's like over, almost like by her clavicle. She sees Clark sitting on the bed. And he's like in the same outfit. She's like, why aren't you dressed? And Clark's like, well, the boy said they were going to get photos. So why don't we just stay here tonight? 
And she's like, why are you telling me this right now? He's like, I'm trying to be supportive and I'm following your lead, but sometimes it feels like no one is allowed to have an opinion about your treatment other than you. And she's like, because it's happening to me? He's like, yeah, I know, I get it, but everything I've read and everyone I've spoken to, they all say the same thing. This is gonna be the fight of your life and you need to rest. And she's like, and I will, but not tonight. I'm going to this dance, Clark. It's very important to me. And if you want to come with me, great. But I need you to get dressed. So what they don't say for all of this, I think the reason the dance is so important to her, I, I'm, I'm wondering if part, I mean, it's, it's got to be, it's got to be this obvious, right? I think part of her is like worries, like, what if I don't survive this? This could be like the, the last dance that I'm able to go to. So I don't know if that's why it was so important. I, I've, I'm assuming. At the, the DOD, an alarm's going off. That one general lady, she tells the soldier, she's um, she's like, find out where that breach is coming from. He's like, yes, ma'am. And then that the Stefano guy comes through the wall, snaps this poor soldier's neck, and then she's like, she hits this alarm on the wall. He grabs her, flings her into the room on this other side of the wall because he's able to face her through there too. And then she hisses. She's like, what do you want? And he's like, access to your biggest secrets so clark is dressed and he's like i know you want to go to the dance but i think we should talk about this and she's like okay i'm listening and then he hears something and he's like just wait for me please and then shoom. outside the dod superman's floating using x-ray vision super hearing and you, you hear the, the stuff and he's like you're to give me what i want general inside He's like shaking his hand or vibrating. So I think he's kind of th- threatening to put his hand, probably like put her hand through her chest and like pull out her heart or something like that. You know, that's like, wouldn't that be typical? She unlocks something with her retina scan. Like doesn't even hesitate. Then he like shoves her out of the way. At first I thought it was opening a door, but I think it was like unlocking a computer or something like that. Cause he puts some device next to it, like on it. And then it starts like downloading the, like, I guess the, the, the DOD hard drive. The door starts getting like laser burned around the edges. Superman enters. He tells the general, go. He sees the computer transfers like at 17%. Rushes at the guy, but he goes right through him. So the guy like phased himself and Superman goes there. And he pulls out like a kryptonite knife. Superman tries hitting him. It's like swings like several times. But he's like in his like ghost phasing form. So Superman can't land a, a punch. Then he solidifies. Stabs him three times in the gut. The transfer is at 50%. Superman swings some more, more stab. It's just like he's like quick, quick little. And Superman grabs him. They both go through the wall. And then, then you see like on the other side, they like thud against it. So I don't know what's going on. Then there's like ice and then there's heat. And then Superman goes flying in against the wall. Dude just walks in, picks up Superman, throws him across the room. So I guess he's got strength too, whatever. And he walks, starts walking towards him with a knife. Superman blows cold breath, but he faces right through him. Stabs, knees him, hits him, and Superman goes, you know, flying back. Comes at him. He's he's like flickering a little bit, and then Superman. I don't know how to, exactly this happened. Grabs his wrist, punches him in the chest, and so I don't know if this power, some of his powers through his suit, because there's like this like emblem thing like on his suit, and it starts like it looks like it's malfunctioning, whatever. And then Superman. Vroom, does a big like thunderclap dude goes flying back against the wall like hard and then he's actually it almost looks like i don't know if he's like partially phased through it and he's like too late superman and you see transfer complete 100 percent. 
Mateo, he's at he's still inside the dance. He's he's about to like walk out. Nat comes in and she's like, "You don't have to leave unless you want to." He's like, "What? No way." He's like, "I just thought that since you," she's like, "No, I want you to stay, please." And he's like, "Oh, good." And she's like, "Can we just pick up where we left off before I ran out like an idiot?" Junior tells Sarah that he's sorry for what he said at the diner, and he's like, "You know, the reason that we haven't been friends that's on me." And Sarah's like, "Well, maybe we could start again." If you want, I mean, he like smiles. He takes it. He has a flask. Takes a, a swig from the flask. Then he offers it to her, and she like takes it, and she's kind of like surprised. And she raises it. She's like to your dad. Takes a drink, and she like coughs. And she's like, "That's terrible." And Junior's like, "Yeah, my dad only drink the cheap stuff." They both laugh, whatever. But then Lana's standing right there, and she's like to Junior. She's like, "Get inside, Junior." To Sarah, you know, after he's gone. I can't believe you. After everything we've been through, you pull something like this? It's like, oh man, here we go. And Sarah's like, I'm not pulling anything. She's like, you've been out here drinking all night? So of course, you know, Lana's going to, this. it's like you're going to blow things again. You're just immediately jumping to conclusions. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But it, then it's just, oh man. And Sarah's like, can I explain? And Lana just kind of gives her a snotty expression. And Sarah's like, look, I came out here to check on Junior. I know he was really angry earlier. It was about him losing his dad. She's like, I know what Mayor Dean said about you, about me, about our family, but none of that really matters anymore. And he was a good dad. Now all Junior has are memories. I was just trying to be a good friend. And Lana nods. And she's like, I understand. And Sarah's like, you do? She's like, I do. Just next time, no drinking. And then Sarah hands the flask to her. She's like, come on, the dance is almost over. They walk in, they put like their arms around each other. So it's like, oh, thank goodness that they're not like at each other's throats. Clark zips at, at the into the, 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 far, the farmhouse. He's like, Lois, I'm here. She's on a the sofa. Then he's like, you okay? She's like, not really. She's like, I want to go so badly, but I can't. She's like, you are right. Just because I have cancer doesn't mean I can't be wrong. She's like, I'm not the only one. Who gets a habit and opinion in all this? She's like, I need you to keep sharing yours with me, especially if I don't agree. You promise? He's like, I promise. The kids and Sam come home, and they're like, Clark's like, how was it? And Jordan's like, oh, it was okay. Nothing crazy or anything like that. Lois like, please tell me you got pictures. And Candace's like, oh, I'm sorry, Ms. Lane. We forgot. Lois like, oh, that was my one chance to see everyone dressed up. And then they all kind of look at each other because, again, maybe they realize what she's thinking. I don't know. Then Clark's like, maybe not. Pulls out his phone, like puts on some music, pushes a coffee table out of, out of the way. And he like says to Lois, he's like, if you're up for it, he pulls out his hand, takes her. They start dancing. Candace like, you better dance with me. And then <laughs> Jordan like sits on, the, on the, the, the arm of the chair that Sam's in. Sam's like, if you're asking me to dance, the answer is a firm no. And Jordan's like, well, I was thinking what you said, and I stole your phone in the car. There's this app that he put on there. So somehow, does Sam have like no security system? All of, he's all about security and safety protocols, and and Jordan's able to unlock his phone. He so he put an app on there. It's called Senior Swipe. And Jordan's like, it's really easy. And he explains, you know, you just look and, and you can communicate with people, whatever. And he's like, maybe you can find your next dance partner. And then, because, uh, you know, Sam's like, oh, I don't know about this, whatever. But then, uh, so they're dancing. Then Jordan's like, he has Clark, he has a dad. He's like, can I cut in? 
and then so they're dancing <laughs> and she says to George she's like you washed your hair <laughs> and then she starts sniffing it and then you know then she's like okay and then she's like holding him close and he's like I love you mom and then she's like looks at Clark and she's like I love you she mouths it and he mouths it back at her so sweet Chrissy is over at Kyle's they're in bed they just got went to punky town her phone buzzes actually i don't know if this is this might be the next day it might be the morning um her phone buzzes and she's like oh that might be lois so she like checks she's like or your ex-wife and he's like what does she want and she's like she said that she needs to see me so it's like oh because like christy's like so super nervous about all this so we see lana's she's sitting on that one uh martha kent bench in town like she's having a coffee and you see Chrissy come up. She's like so nervously. She walks up to her. And then she's like, hey, what's up? And Lana finally, she's she like just looks at her. And she's like, I don't want to go public with this stuff about Dean. And you can see Chrissy. And this is, again, what I like about this. Like just a little subtle thing. It, you can almost see Chrissy like she practically lets out like a sigh of relief. Then she's like, what changed your mind? She's like, don't you think the public deserves to know the truth? And Lana's like, I think in this specific case, the truth will hurt more than it heals. So it's best to keep it a secret. This town needs closure. So I've decided to name a new town hall after Mayor Dean. And Chrissy's like, the George Dean Memorial Town Hall. She's like, sounds nice. Candace is packed. She's packed up in Jonathan's truck. And Lois is like, if you need anything, you know where to find us. She gives her a hug. And then Candace hugs Jordan. She's like, you're just, just the sweetest. She's like, take care of your brother for me. And he's like, okay. I think he was a little caught off guard by that. So then they to get in the truck. They leave. Sam comes up to Clark because Sam was on the phone. He's like, we need to talk. Turns out this deadline character. Who, who, when did they ever call him deadline? I don't know where this name came from. So they're talking about this, this Stefano. He's like, turns out this deadline character managed to get the locations of several of our top facilities. And he, Clark's like, which ones? He's like, the ones that store sensitive assets. So while you were fighting deadline, the rest of Intergang was silently raiding the cupboards. Which is like, how is that even possible? Then Lois like, what did they take? So then we see Bruno with Dr. Hook. They're like looking at something, but it's like off camera. And Bruno's like, this is our new priority. And Hook's like, it looks just like him, only more dead. And we look and we see, and Bruno's like, for now. It's the other Superman, the bizarro Superman from the other Allie Alston world. The backwards world. They got him. They're going to bring him back. And that's the end of the episode. So, man, uh, do I need to say it? The show is just so good. Uh, then there's no Flash this week, uh, which threw me off guard. I totally thought there was. But The Mandalorian, Season 3, Episode 7, The Spies. It's chapter 23. Oh, goodness. This this episode gets a little little messy. Um, it starts off on, like, Coruscant. And, and one of the things that bothers me is I really wish, because I think Star Trek does it, I really wish Star Wars told us where, because you know, they always take us to a different planet and they don't. They just put the name on the screen. But I guess Star Wars never does that. Never did that. I don't think they ever did that. But you look at this as like, is this Coruscant? It's a big city. Is there only one big like city planet in the entire galaxy? 
it's it's like a kind of shady area or whatever you know people on the streets and dark alleys and everything like that and then that annoying alia alia kane whatever her name she's like skulking about in a trench coat and then this imperial probe droid like hovers up to her scans her and then she she gives this this code and then a holo of moth gideon appears he's like make this short she mentions a problem with the pirates and Navarro. And he's like, didn't you say the New Republic would not be sending support? She's like, it wasn't the New Republic. So she says that Magistrate Karga was aided by Mandalorians. And then he's like, which Mandalorians? And uh, Kane's like, well, according to reports, Bo-Katan Kryze led a squadron of Mandalorians alongside Din Djarin and his covert. He's like, this cannot be. Those two factions are sworn enemies. And Kane's like, which is why I contacted you with haste. With haste or without haste? Without haste? I don't remember what, what it said. And then he's like, continue with your mission. I shall deal with our Mandalorian friends. And then he like hangs up and cuts the call. So Gideon's in this room, starts walking by. There's like all these choo, choo, just like laser things, whatever. There's like all these uh kind of beefed up stormtroopers, which I guess they're the death squad or whoever they are, whatever. Then he goes in this other room and then there's those pod things in there. I don't know if there's clones in pods, whatever he's ex experimenting on before. Then he goes into yet another room and there's like eight different holo people talking around. They're talking about like the new Republic, this and that, whatever. They're talking about plundering money. One like warns them that, you know, against being seen as more than just imperial warlords otherwise the new republic will hunt them down or something like that this other mentions how you know people are growing tired of the of all the rules and regulation and as one says that if they give them a show of strength they'll be able to, they'll rally behind them then uh captain Pelian Pelian um i think he's been mentioned before i think he's I, I i don't remember i didn't look him up so he's he's one of the guys there but i'm pretty sure he's in a bigger Star Wars continuity. Gideon comments how he always speaks with so much authority. He's like, and yet I see once again, this is kind of scoffs, the Grand Admiral Thrawn is missing from your delegation. Any word on when he will be able to participate in the Shadow Council, which is, I guess, what this thing is. And then he's like, with respect, our one hope for success relies upon the secrecy of his return. And he's like, Captain secrets are my stock and trade. I hear whispers from one end of the galaxy to another and never a word of Thrawn. You have spoken of his imminent return, perhaps. It's time we look to new leadership. And another one's like, here, here. <laughs> I think this lady just agrees with anything. So, you know, all this Thrawn stuff is, is probably going to be picked up in Ahsoka. So I think this is kind of like a segue into that. So then someone's like, well, what about Project Necromancer? You know, what has become of Dr. Pershing and his and the research that he promised in? And Gideon's like, Dr. Pershing was captured by the New Republic. His research is lost for now. So I, was, was Pershing the other guy that, that Kane ended up sabotaging or betraying, whatever? He's like, for now, at least. And then Brendel Hux is there. So Hux, he's, he's the dad of what's his name armitage hux or whatever that hated kylo ren in the new order or whatever first order all that so um hux says that he's like i also hear whispers gideon he's like you had held pershing and were attempting your own experiments on navarro and then gideon's like the creation of clones is your obsession not mine he's like i account for what goes on in my sector no more no less 
The same can be said of every member of this council. And they're all like, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yet, we individually scrape and claw resources awaiting the grand plan to take shape while you and Pelean, Pelean, I don't know how you say his name, amass countless resources and equipment which should be shared. And Huck's like, we've already received your request. He's like, three Praetorian guards? He like scoffs. Sounds like someone is concerned about an assassination attempt and reinforcements for your TIE interceptor squadron? And Gideon's like, and bombers. Pelayan's like, what's with your sec- security concern? And then Gideon's like, Mandalorians. They're like, there's a, what? And Pelayan's like, they continue to be an issue? And Gideon's like, they do. I am increasingly confident that they are preparing to retake their homeworld of Mandalore. But it's like, why the heck would he know this, that, that they have any interest in Mandalore, that they're headed there? And then someone's like, a resurgent uh, Mandalore would hamper our efforts. And Gideon's like, which is why we need to stamp them out now. And another one's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it's the same one of Greece. Then um, playing nods and Huck's like, you have your reinforcement and your guard. And then Gideon's like, we shall be rid of the Mandalorians once and for all. Long live the Empire. Long live the Empire. Navarro, the citizens are cleaning up the town after the attack. Then there's a big shadow over the sky. Big imperial ship hovers over and it just like it darkens everything. Karga and you know is in his office. Proto Droid says like it's a light cruiser or whatever. And he's like oh no, or he's the the droid says it's a imperial starship or something like that. And then he says it's a light cruiser. And he's like it's not imperial. They're like uh, but it is. <laughs> the droid's like arguing with him. He's like he's like according to my data it is imperial. He's like no look. Because there's like a, the giant Mandalorian skull symbol on the bottom. So Karga's like, those are Mandalorian privateers. So the ship flies over town, heads to the area, uh, you know, the, where the Mandalorian covert is, is hanging out. Bo-Katan is talking to Grogu, and she hopes that these two groups get along. That, you know, if they've never met, and what little they know of each other, they hate. And Din's like, they will if they want to survive. You know, they'll get along. So the big cruiser lands, Bo-Katan exits with Din and the others. Then Paz, uh, Vesla, whatever, tells one next to him to take the children inside. So the new group, they removed their helmets, except for Din. Um, the culverts, they almost look like they're starting to like flex or start tensing up. Then the armor bangs her hammers. She's like, welcome Mandalorians. We invite you to make camp. Let us prepare a feast for our guests. So Bo-Katan kind of like bows her head, and then they start to move about. Karga comes up. The Mando is like, oh, welcome back. And he gives him his bottle. He's like a welcome gift for the new neighbors. It's, he's like, it's all the way from Coruscant. He's like, uh, but you might want to wait for a smaller gathering before you open it, because it's only one bottle. <laughs> but he's like, that's not the only gift I have for you. They go in his office, and then IG-11 like stiffly walks in. But it's being piloted by one of those Anzellans, uh, the Babu Frick species guys. Hey, man. <laughs> and then Din's, Mando's like, what did you do to IG-11? And Cargo goes like, no, no, no. He's like, that's IG-12 now. He's like, do you like him? He's like, do I like him? Cargo's like, he's safe. He's like, the Anzellans stripped him down to his ba- basic uh, you know, motor functions. They removed his memory circuits. And then uh, <laughs> the pilot provides like cognition or something like that. He's like, it's safer that way. Grogu kind of laughs and gets up and he walks towards it. The Anzellan like steps aside. He's like, bad baby, no squeezy. 
then try stopping him saying he's like no no he's like he's too little operate it cargo's like no 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 he's like let's see if he fits so he like helps him in there he does fit barely and then then admits he's like you know they do nice work but you know grogu is too young to operate heavy machinery he's like maybe when he's older and then ig12 is like no and because grogu hit a button and mando's like what do you mean no no and Karga's like i think he's saying he's old enough to operate it yes and he's like "Mm -mm, get out of there no and Karga's like let him at least you know try it out in my office yes and mando's like no this is not a good idea come on didn't reaches for Grogu, but then IG-12's like arms kind of push him out of the way and he starts walking. He's like, hey. He's like walking. He almost knocks over like this bust of Karga. The protocol droid like catches it, whatever. And he's like walking around and then Karga's like, would you look at that? Yes. Then Mando's like, yes what? Yes, 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 yes. Then uh, Mando and uh, Grogu, IG-12, they're walking through the town. Grogu is still pushing the yes button. It's like, yes, 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 with like each step. And then uh, as they're walking, Grogu is like stops at a vendor, like takes some food and starts eating it. Mando's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, you have to pay for those. Then Grogu grabs a fruit. And he's like, get that back. But he's like holding it above his head, like high, so Mando can't reach it. He squeezes it a little too tightly and it's like squirts liquid at the vendor. He's like, Rrr. and Mando sighs. He like pays for that too. And he's like, this isn't working for me. So it's nighttime. The Mandos are talking. They're, they're having their feast or whatever. They're, they're, they're separated, you know, the, the two different groups. Bo-Katan speaks. She says, it's time to retake their home world. Even though the planet is not cursed, there are still dangers. Dormant species have been awakened from the bombings. The remaining magnetic interference has made it impossible to scan the surface from ab- the above atmosphere, which is why I'm proposing that we leave Navarro and move the fleet into orbit above Mandalore. We'll send a small recon party. We'll scout the surface, find out what remains of the Great Forge, and establish a safe perimeter. Only then will we bring down the others. She's like, I need volunteers from both tribes. And it's like, silent. And then Mando stands up. I will go. Grogu as well. And then Casca Reeves, she stands up. She's like, I will go. And she kind of gives like a little nod to Bo-Katan. Then Axe Wove stands up. He's like, I'll go. Paz Vizsla stands up. I will go. Then another and another and another and another. And it's like people from both sides. And the armor, she even says, I will go as well. The next day, they all get in. The fleet rises. They arrive at Mandalore. They go, go down. Scouting parties. Are, they're going to go in bo ship. They descend to the surface. They have to go through the storm and all that stuff like that. As they're like approaching, Paz looks down he's like it's, it's worse than i thought another one i don't know who it was someone sitting next to him was like i was here when it happened mando tells bo-katan that they're ready so they drop down which is weird I, I guess they land separately they fly out to see they draw their weapons they scan the area they say the landing zone secure and then the ship lands so maybe they want to make sure the ship's not going to get destroyed whatever Grogu is like he's back in the IG-12 whatever R5-D4 is even with them then Bo-Katan says somewhere down below is where our ancient capital once stood it's like we'll survey the surface until we find a forge and create a safety zone only then will we bring down the rest of the settlers so they start like walking and scouting after a bit didn't see something on the horizon and there's like something big approaching and it's like this big it's like a boat like a big ship there's almost like sails and stuff on there 
So they get like they kind of spread apart, get in defensive position. Someone calls out, "Do you have food?" And Bo-Katan's like, "We do." And then on the ship, they're like, "You wear the crest of the night owls." And Bo-Katan's like, "I should hope so." And the armor asks, "Like, are they Mandalorians?" And then uh, on the ship, you're, "Is that the voice of Lady Bo-Katan Kreese? And she kind of like pauses and like looks around. She's like, "It is." And then. Whoosh, Three people launch off off the ship towards them, Mandalorians. They remove their helmets and they place their fists over their chest. They kind of bow their head. Like, we knew you would not forsake us, Lady Bo-Katan. We have failed you, but our blasters remain in your service. On the ship, the one dude says they, the, 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 they intercepted any ships that they saw leaving. They took no prisoners. They bombed every surface twice over. They punished them as a warning to the whole galaxy because they refused to surrender. Bo-Katan kind of looks around. She's like, that's not true. She's like, I did surrender after our forces were in. And, and uh, Akaska, that's right. She kind of like, almost like, wait, don't say anything. But she's like, after our forces were annihilated in the night of a thousand tears and defeat was imminent, I met with Moff Gideon. The ISB had reached out to me to negotiate a ceasefire in exchange for submitting to the Empire and disarming all remaining cities and the Mandalorian lives were to be spared. That is how Moff Gideon came to possess the dark saber. I didn't trust him, but it was the only chance I had to save our people. And then he betrayed me. And she's like, and we were, you know, helpless to resist a purge of Mandalore. And the, the one dude's like, and how did the others survive? The armor is like, we were hidden on the moon of Concordia. And another's like, are you the, the death watch? The armor is like, the Death Watch exists no longer. It's shattered into many warring factions. So maybe they were the Death Watch? Bo-Katan says, Our people have suffered time and again from division and squabbling factions. Mandalore has always been too powerful for any enemy to defeat. It is always our own division that destroys us. So later, Bo-Katan's like on, on this boat ship, staring off at the moon. Then Mando walks up. He's like, I had no idea. We were taught that everyone but us had forsaken the way that you were selfish and uncaring. Now I understand. And then Bo-Katan's like, you were right. I was selfish. And this is what it wrought. And then Mando's like, we'll rebuild it. Isn't that our history? For thousands of years, we have been on the verge of extinction. And for thousands of years, we have survived. She kind of turns and looks at him. She's like, I don't know if I can keep everyone together. There's too much animosity, and this blade is all I have to unify our people. Mando's like, I only know of this weapon what you taught me. To be honest, it means nothing to me or my people, nor does station or bloodline. What means more to me is honor and loyalty and character. These are the reasons I serve you, Lady Kreese. And she turns, I think she's kind of like surprised by this. He's like, your song is not yet written. I will serve you until it is. And he has his, his fist on his chest. So then Bo-Katan, she goes up to Armor. She's like, we'll rest here and continue at first light. Armor's like, these, you know, these here are too weak to continue. She's like, they should return to the ship and then I'll ferry them, you know, back to our fleet. So Bo-Katan says that, she tells the ship captain, those who are well enough can continue with them search for the Great Forge. And he's like, we can do better than that. We can bring you there. So the next day, some go up in Bo-Katan's ship, piloted by armor, while the others go off on the boat. 
paths and acts are playing some sort of like chess game or whatever it starts getting a little tense over the difference of the rules the, the rules because uh paz moves it a certain way and and paz and um acts is like you can't they, those whatever pieces aren't allowed to move that way it, it this isn't good and then paz like stands up he's like submit or fight and he's like seriously he says it again so of course acts starts fighting them they, they get into it Mando asks Bo-Katan, it's like, should I step in? And she's like, neither side can step in. You know, it was bound to happen sooner or later. The fight is pretty even. Everyone's just like sitting, you know, just, just watching, and you know, kind of shaking their heads. And then um, it, it gets in where both of them have their knives. They start going towards each other. And then Grogu and IG-12 stops them, like separates them. No, 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 no. And they both like just look at each other and they stop. And Bo-Katan's like, you taught your apprentice well. And Mando's like, he didn't learn that from me. It's the armor in um, Bo-Katan's ship. She reaches uh, the Star Cruiser. She's prepared for you know, medical bay or whatever and all that. One of the sailors, um, sailor Mandalorians, sees something off the starboard. Say, so I'll helm it up. Rocks start moving. There's this big, gigantic creature. Roars at them. And the captain's like, abandon ship. It's like it smashes the ship, whatever. Um Paz and I think I don't know if it was Axe, but someone in the helmet. They both grab IG twelve Grogu and they fly up. Mando, the, they all make it to the shore. The ship's like in pieces. They duck into this cave and then they're like, "Let's, we got to go deeper, or whatever." So they go in there. They get to the like the level where you see some st- structures like underground. And Axe is like, "This is what's left of the Great Forge." He's like, "This was once the heart of our civilization. The fires have been extinguished since the bombings." And then, then they hear like jetpacks. So wait, is there more survivors? And Bo-Katan's like, they're they're coming from like inside the cave. And Bo-Katan's like, those aren't Mandalorians. So they're like flying Imperials, like flying stormtroopers in this different armor, and they're flying. Like what? They start shooting, but they're apparently they're wearing Beskar armor. And so the the Mandalorians are pinned. They're like, we need reinforcement, but it's like too far to, to go back where they came from. Paz points out. Uh, it's like opening in a ceiling he's like i'll lace down some cover so he starts shooting a bunch of them and then someone like flies up the mandalorians are doing pretty well because you know they even though they're, they're all deflect they're still shooting but it's like they're they know the key points to shoot and then they have like their knives that are like stabbing and cutting like the right places so it um they're doing it really well but there's just so many of these troopers um but then it's almost like I, I thought they were running, but then it's like they were chasing after the stormtroopers. So it's like they got them to retreat. Then they kind of come up to this weird place. It's like a hangar. And there's like TIE fighters there. And then and then they get separated. Just like blast door separates them, shuts down. They're like, it's an ambush. So Mando, he gets like a couple cables like around his neck and around his arm. And Grogu is like on the other side, can only watch. And then uh, when these dark troopers lands, they're like, disarm him. So it's like he's got this like black armor, whatever, so fancy. It's Gideon. He takes off his helmet. He thinks, he looks at on the other side of the door. He thanks them for gathering the Mandalorians in one place. He's like, you were, at first, I thought he recognized Bo-Katan, but I don't know if he did. He's like, you are a talented people, but your time has passed. However, as you can see, Mandalore will live on in me. Thanks to your planet's rich resources, I have created the next generation dark trooper suit forged from Beskar alloy. And the most impressive improvement is that it has me in it. (laughs) He's like so arrogant. 
he plans on taking the best from he's talking about like the different like people whatever taking the best from the the cloners from the jedi and i guess from them whatever he's going to create an army that will bring order to the galaxy and and he's like why don't we take your fleet off the board while we still have the element of surprise activate the interceptors and bombers and bo-katan's like no he's like in but a few minutes the purge of mandalore will be complete so then he says he's like talk about mando he's like take him to the debriefing room why him like why just him maybe he recognizes his armor i don't know then bo-katan's like i should have killed you when i had the chance and he's like bo-katan crease so i I don't say i don't know if he didn't recognize her before but then he's like we have to stop meeting like this and she's like i'll make sure of it so gideon's like let's skip the unpleasantries i believe this is the part where you return a dark saber to its rightful owner but again how the heck does he know she has it? Mandalorian then had it. He, There's no reason he would know that she, that she got it. And then she kind of holds it up. And then he's like, now surrender and tell these people that this planet is mine. She looks at Paz and he's like, this is the way. So they start shooting at the blast door. She heads back to the. There's like an, another door, another blaster behind him. She's like jabs it with the the dark saber and starts like cutting. Gideon's like open the blast door and kill them, and then he puts on his helmet, flies away like a like a chicken baby. Uh, Bo-Katan managed to make a hole. Paz like move on out. It's like I'll cover the rear. More troopers just keep coming and coming. Bo-Katan's like okay, fall back. He's like, we're not leaving you behind. But then he hits the button. He closes the blast door. And she's like, no. He's like, this is the way. His gun, he's just like shooting and shooting. He's taking them out. But there's just so many just keep coming more and more. And his gun is like starting to overheat. It's like turning like like molten red. And then it's like, it's too much. And he swings it, hits one. He starts grabbing troopers, like throwing them, slamming his fist on them. And they just keep like shooting at him. And it's just like bouncing off of him. But, you know, it's, it's he's got to feel it. Knocks a couple over the edge. And then um, it, it's he seems like he got everyone. He's like tired. They're all done. Then the three Praetorian guards show up. So these are like the badass. Like you do not mess with these guys. These are dudes in all red. And so he turns on his wrist shield, grabs a knife like out of his boot. They have like their big vibro staffs. They like fight and block. He's like trying to fight them and knock them. They're like jabbing him, trying to shock him. Which I don't know if he's feeling it. He must be feeling it, maybe through the suit or whatever. And he's he keeps going at them. And they finally they got him pinned down. And and I don't know if they penetrated, but they're got him just zapping him, pinning. And then he's like on his knees, just falls over. And they just walk away, just like like he's nothing. And that's the end of the episode. So it's like wow. So, um, yeah, you don't mess with these guys. But it's like all these... But Paz, man, I hope he's not dead because he is he is such a badass and and I just love him. He's, just, he's a tank, like, on his own. And I just... Uh, I hope he survives. <laughs> I'm going to be bummed. That's, that's the end. I think... Is there one episode left? Is that right? Okay, then with Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 9, Vox. And I don't know if that's how you say it, because in the closed caption when they mentioned Vox, there's like some weird symbol over to O, but it's, it's just called Vox. And uh, so there's this episode and one more, and uh, this this I really enjoyed this episode. This was really good. And I'm, I'm curious. I haven't checked like IMDb ratings or anything like that. I don't know 
if other people are, are digging this or not because it seems like a lot of Star Trek fans are just really um, picky about about things. But I, I really enjoyed this. So this picks up from last episode. Deanna, Troy, she's working with Jack. She's you know, psychically trying to go through his mind like what's what's going on? What's he seeing? What's behind this door? And you know, she says that nothing's more elusive than a door that the mind doesn't wish you, you to open. So we see this like hallways covered in like the red tendrils, vines or whatever. And she's like, Jack, I'm here with you. She's like, I feel your reluctance. She's like, you're safe. And she's like, tell me about these vines. They're, they're almost like neurons. And he's like, I don't know what they are, what they mean. And then she asks him to remember. She's like, well, well you know, what do they mean to you? And then, you know, he thinks he's like the, the crimson arbitorium on, on Raritan 4 or something like that. He's like, my mother took me there when I was a boy. And, you know, then there's this song that's been playing. He said that, you know, she adored that song. And, you know, then Troy's like, you know, careful. She's like, don't get lost and like the memory and all that. Because he's like, you know, she played this all the time. She's like, well, what? Tell me about the vines. She's like, focus. So he starts talking about like all the flowers and the vines and how they're connected under the soil and stuff like that. And she's like, did you find that comforting? And he's like, yeah, they're, they're perfect. They're purposeful. And so Troy's like, so the vines are connections. Is that what you're seeking? A connection? And he's like, yes, like many. So she says, your truth is behind that door. Do you want me to open it for you? And she's like, I promise whatever you find, you won't be alone. So then he's like, yes. And you, every once in a while, you keep hearing that female voice that keeps saying, find me, Jack, find me, which is weird because, and you know, when this first started doing it, the closed caption, you know, closed caption reveals a lot, but when it first started it just said a voice and another time it said it was beverly's voice but it's not beverly's voice we we find out here so troy goes to the door she turns the knob and then she gasps and in the real world she like comes out of it and then jack's eyes are kind of watery and she's like I, i'm sorry I, i'm really sorry she gets up and she like leaves the room and he like calls her he's like what did you see he's like tell me he's like you know what did you see and and then uh she just like leaves so she rushes the other room where picard and beverly are and they're like what's wrong so then we get a flashback to her opening the door. You know, we see her like down the, the corridor, just bright light. And as she's standing there, she looks and you see like some flashing lights. And then there's a big giant Borg cube. And then the collector's like, we are Borg. So she's just like, what the heck is going on? So Picard thinks about his time as Locutus. You know, resistance is futile, your life as it has been is over and then he's like that's impossible and beverly's like jack's never been assimilated and picard says that you know there's no nanoprobes in his system there's like no transceivers receivers and troy's like the the voices in the head in his head are distinct uh her psychic gifts aren't perfect but you know she's never mistaken borg and Beverly says that you know biology doesn't always need words to communicate, and she talks about like flocks of birds, how they turn in US unison, the architecture of beehives, uh, the, the colonies, um, you know, ant colonies, whatever. So they're all wordlessly connected. So some transceivers and receivers are organic. So two must the, the technology and Jack must be the same way. And and she also mentions, which is interesting, because you know I didn't know what the, the state of the Borg are, and I don't know if they mentioned it before, but no one has seen or heard from the Borg in over a decade. So it's like, where have they been all this time? And then uh, she's like, so perhaps the Borg have evolved. And Picard's like, no, no, no. He's like, the only thing I passed on to was my irmotic syndrome. But Robert's like, you never had that. That's why soon kept your body at Daystrom. He saw that there was something else. And what Vatic knew was that the board passed something on to Jack, some organic technology through Locutus, 
And then Picard's like, through me to our son. Beverly says, you know, we must tell him. And he's like, no, no. He's like, I will. It's my responsibility. I am the, co the cause. It's my fault. And Troy stops him. She's like, I'm really sorry, but there are protocols. She's like, Vatic was searching for a weapon against humanity. And that weapon was Jack. It's like, we both saw him, you know, enter the mind of others and control them. So she's like, forgive me. As of this moment, your son is dangerous. Jack's like pacing in his room and Picard enters. And he's like, what did she see? And Picard's like, Jack, there's so much. And he's like, he's like, I'm never letting another betazoid near me. He's like, everyone has their secrets. You know, they should be allowed to keep to themselves. You know, it's not not be up for display for some psychic counselor. And, you know, he's in, he's complaining about like Starfleet, like using her and whatever else like that. Picard tries calming him. And he's like, tell me, tell me what she saw in here. And he's like pointing his head. So there's a pause. And Picard's like, 35 years ago, I was taken, assimilated, used to do terrible things. And I survived without scars but not, it would seem unchanged. So he's like, Starfleet cleared me, but later I was diagnosed with what appeared to be irmotic syndrome, which killed me because his body is dead. That's why he's in this, uh, whatever, synthetic body type thing. He's like, but that was a misdiagnosis. The symptoms were merely a side effect. And Jack's like, of what? And Picard says, a seed, something I passed on to you when it took a generation to grow. And then he sighs, so he's like the Borg. That's you know quite the explanation. You know, a life of disconnection, only to find that I'm emblematic of what he's like a bee seeking a hive or a collective or a queen. And Picard's like subconsciously perhaps. And then Jack's like, so how much of me is me? And Picard's speechless. You know, he doesn't know what to say. So Jack's like, it's funny. It's like I've always known the world was imperfect. You know, war, poverty, violence, suffering, bigotry. I always thought that if people could just see each other, hear each other, you know, speak in one voice, act one mind together, you know, he's like, who knew a little cybernetic authoritarianism was the answer? He's like, but the Borg, he's like, they don't feel, they don't care. He's like, but I do. So how does that factor into this? And Picard's like, we must take precautions. And Jack's like, precautions? And Picard's like, I'm afraid this is not just about you anymore. And Picard's like, or Jack's like, what do you see when you look at me? He's like, look at me, damn it. He's like, what do you see? So Picard's like, I came close to killing everyone I knew, everyone I loved. You don't know what it is to be controlled by them. You know, what she can make you do. And I can see with my own eyes what you are capable of. He's like, there's a place where you will be safe. There's a research lab on Vulcan. And Jack knows of it. It's a place called Kesselavar or something like that. He's like, it's no academy. It's an institution. He's like, it's a place where they can mind meld and lobotomize the, the Borg for me. He's like, no thanks. He's like, this is my problem. I can handle myself. Then he he picked something up off the, the table. I don't know what it was. I thought it was a phaser or something like that, but I don't think it was. He opens the door. There's these two big armed officers standing outside. And Jack's like, I was never getting out of here on my own, was I? And he like turns to Picard. He's like, you said you'd never give up on me. And Picard's like, Starfleet protocol dictates that we act in the interest of. And he's like, of what? And Picard's like, of everyone else. So then Jack's like, well, what about the protocols of a father? Or were you never issued those? So he like closes his eyes. And when he opens them, they're red. And the two officers come in. They point their big rifles at Picard. And Picard's like, Jack, what is this? And he's like, futility. So he leaves with the two dudes. They follow him under his control. They go down the corridor. Beverly runs up to him. And she's like, where are you going? But the two guards like block her. So she can't even like get close to him. He says, he's like, I'm going home. And she's like, no, we, we can find a solution. We can undo whatever this is. And he's like, the voice in my head, he's like, I always thought it was yours, but it wasn't. It's hers, their queen. If she wants me, I'll trade myself for answers. And when she gets close enough, I'll show her exactly who and what I am. 
and she's like yelling at him she's like don't do this you're gonna get yourself killed but then he like jumps into a shuttle and he tries to figure out where he's going so he's like thinking he's like where are you he hears a board queen like jack find me so he turns off the shuttle transponder he takes off warp speed and he's out of there we see picard and beverly are staring out the window and he's like he inherited the best of you and the worst of me She's like, I gave Wesley space and I lost him to it. So I watched Jack closer, so close, and I couldn't see what was right in front of me. So she's like, there must be something we can do. You know, she's like, I'm going to find it. And then she leaves. Data comes in. He says they haven't been able to scan the shuttle. So they believe that Jack is jamming the transponder. And then this was kind of like a sweet moment. Data's like, would you like me to say something comforting? And Picard's like, you might find that impossible. And he's like, I know. And then he just puts his hand on his shoulder. And it was, it was like a touching moment. LaForge calls and he's like, Picard, you better come down to sickbay. There's more that you need to know about Jack. So we see the shuttle. It arrives in like this cloud nebula. And he's like, no, no, no. This alarm goes off. There's like tachyon radiation pulses, neutrino emissions, gravitational flux. And Jack's like, is it a wormhole? And the computer's like negative. So there's like some tr transwarp condition, whatever that is. Then he gets like a high-pitched ringing in his head. And the board queen calls out to him. And he looks up. He sees lights. And then the giant Borg cube like comes out like from the, the nebula clouds or whatever. So Jordy tells Picard that uh, all Borg undergo genetic alteration so they can communicate with their cybernetic components. It turns out that Picard's were a little more extensive than they thought. This new genetic code was actually written and stored inside him. It was something that they, were they weren't able to detect 35 years ago. So Data says that the Borg never truly let him go. And Worf says that the, the changing extracted that altered portion of his DNA from his body and daystrom. That's why he could um, hear them after being assimilated. And Beverly asks, she's like, how is Jack different? Jordy says that Jack appears to be a transmitter, so he's able to send instruction. Worf says that the changeling stole Picard's body to weaponize that genetic code. And Picard says that um, the ensign that Jack controlled were never assimilated, so how can they receive the signals? And Worf says that, that they don't know. Beverly says that it has been dormant inside him or something like that all this time. So she's like, how could I have missed it? And Picard says it's a testament to her that he was able to resist for so long. Jordy says that it that he may be Borg, but that's not all he is. And Beverly's like, so clearly the changelings have been working with the Borg from the beginning. And Worf says, and now all Starfleet is gathered in one location because today is Frontier Day. So they have to warn them. Jordy says that he's like they're gonna blow us out of the water, you know, as soon as they appear there. But Picard says like we have to try. And he so he calls Captain Shaw. He's like we have to go, and he's like you want to go where every single ship is there, and they're all gonna be targeting us. And Picard's like that's the only option. He, and Shaw's like of course it, that's the only option. I just love Captain Shaw. Um, at the there's this big space dock thing. What I forget what it's called. There's lots of ships there. There's like fireworks in space somehow which I don't know if that's possible, but you hear them making like fireworks sounds. I thought there's, if no one can hear you scream in space, how can you hear a firework? I don't know. Then we, at the board cube, Jack beams on board. He has a phaser ready and the board queen's like, welcome home, Jack. So then we see um, Admiral Elizabeth Shelby, who I think she was in the next generation in an episode. She's speaking like at the history of Starfleet. She's talking about some synchronizing text that allows all ships to operate as one to become this formidable armada. So like if one goes down or gets, you know, they can all control it. It's an ultimate safeguard. Picard mentions it, that the irony of endorsing something that's so Borg-like. And, and the, the cube, you hear, Jack, my child, my flesh, blood, for all the darkness, you are light. For all my suffering, you are life. And Jack's like, 
he's like, I don't know what I am, but I know I'm not yours. And the queen's like, oh, but you are. She's like, you are Vox, not like Locutus, the one who speaks, but the voice itself. He says that what he believes in is mercy, and that's not what this is. And then he's like, what I see in you, she's like, what I see in you, what Vatic saw is a vindication for both our species to take everything back from those who live like shattered glass. And she kind of like chuckles. She's like, if it were possible for you, because he's holding his gun up. She's like, if it was possible for you to kill me, you would have already. And he's like, and he lowers his gun so he can't kill her. And then she's like, end your struggle, my child. Resistance is futile. And she laughs. And then he gets injected. He's just standing there. And this tube comes up, goes in his neck, and his eyes go black. So I think that's it for Jack. At the Starfleet, uh, or the Starfleet Transponder Coat, or something like that, that apparently the, the change, someone entered some of Picard's DNA into the transporter system. And Beverly asks the computer to cross-reference code with that on a Titan. So it's it's part of the transporter architecture now. And Data says that it seems that the transporter now considers Picard's DNA common in the system. Beverly says that that's what they've been doing. They've been using the, the changelings to infiltrate starships and add the new Borg DNA into everyone that steps into a transporter. So every person, every species. So every time someone beams on there, because, you know, they're, they're being torn apart you know digitally whatever molecule atoms when they get put back together they have this new borg dna so that's why i guess jack is able to control them so jordy's like you know they've been assimilating the entire fleet this whole time without anyone knowing so the fleet formation mode um tries taking out over the the, the titan and picard calls out you know he goes on a, on a, on a calm the changing infiltration has made them vulnerable to our greatest enemy to borg so he tells shelby he's like I know this warning will sound desperate and impossible, but you must trust them. Then the connection's lost. All comms are down. There's this massive energy spike detected. Seven, um, seven and nine, she feels like there's pain in her head, and she says it's a Borg signal. Data says that it seems that it won't affect species past a certain period, and Beverly says that in age 25 in humans, when the frontal cortex stops developing. So Jordy says, so, you know, it doesn't seem they might not be affected because they're all older. And Beverly says, but it will affect the youngest members of the crew. Shaw calls out for tactical red alert, but this one officer is just sitting there with their back. He's like, Mira. He's like, and then his face you see is like changing, getting all craggly and everything like that. We see Sydney, Jordy's daughter. She's like, churn, you know, her eyes go black. She turns in her chair. She's like, we are Borg. Jordy asks the computer to find Alondra, his other daughter. Computer says that her life signs are no longer uh, cap compa compatible with human designation. Shelby calls out. She's like, something's happening to the crew. And then Enzyme, you see, goes up to her and like, shoots her. And then the signal cuts. So she might be dead. Um, Picard says that the fleet's been assimilated. This officer on a bridge in Borg voices eliminate all assimilated. Seven disarms one. Picard's like, stun only. And they start They get into the, like, the turbo lift or whatever. Jordy says that he's got to get his girls, but Data stops him. He's like, and do what? He's like, we need a plan. The board collectives, you know, you see a bunch of them walking down the halls. They're armed and they're saying eliminate all unassimilated, you know, and then they're like collective. We have to tighten. Picard, Riker, and Seven and Shaw are in the lift. They're trying to figure out what to do. They stop on the levels, just like chaos there. So they have to get out of here right away. There's a call from another ship. They said that they've regained control of the bridge, but then the ship's, uh, it moves out of their control like in front of the rest of the fleet and it gets destroyed 
And Simon's like, how are they even broadcasting over to comms? And Shaw's, he's like, he thinks about it. He's like, it's a maintenance channel. So he tells the computer to take the lift to the maintenance level. He's like, there's no one posted down there. There's no guards. Uh, so maybe there's a maintenance shuttle that they can take. So Picard calls out to everyone, wherever they are, head to maintenance level. But it's like, hopefully the Borg aren't going to hear that. The Borg Collective sends a message to all who resist. Your armada, armada has been added to our own. Your weak and willful will soon be eliminated. Your strongest has already been assimilated. We are Borg. Starfleet is now Borg. At the maintenance level, they all meet. Uh, you know, the, the, the two groups, um, all our main characters. Riker asks, you know, it's like, what if they just take the shuttle when we launch? And Data says, <laughs> I like this part, because Data's like, the shuttles don't connect to the new system. They're autonomous. And Seven's like, she says, the robot's right. It's the only way. And Data almost gives her like a, like a how dare you look because she called him a robot. Worf says that a single shuttle against the entire fleet. And Jordy's like, no, it's like, I have a better idea. And he's like, but then some Borg uh, assimilated the crew. They start shooting at them. So Jordy's trying to do something. He calls Data to him. They're in the shuttle. He's like, we have enough juice just to, to get us there. And Data's like, well, how do you know? that you know we can get there or that, that it's not gonna be a, when we get there it's not already assimilated and he's like data can you just try to be a little more positive and data's like i hope we die quickly and he has a smile on his face the shooting continues shaw is giving you know he's giving cover he's like run go go and then he gets shot and seven like goes down to him and then you know she yells the others go and picard's like no he's like we're not leaving him behind and she's like we'll find a way so Picard goes and she tells Raffi to go and she's like, not a chance. And Shaw's like gurgling. He's like, no, no. He's like, it's not my ship anymore. He's like, it's yours. You have the con seven of nine. So he actually acknowledged her, called her seven of nine. Soft exhale, he's dead. So I guess we won't be getting a Captain Shaw spinoff show. The shuttle takes off, goes warp. The Borg's like formation complete. Um, rep, weapon, whatever, target, space dock. They're going to go after eliminate planetary defenses and all of the ships are gathering. The shuttle arrives at the fleet museum. Jordy says that they need a ship, something older analog. So something offline from the others. Riker's like, do you think we can use one of these? And Jordy says, he's like, I was, was going to save this for a surprise one day, but I guess there's no time like the present. Hangar door opens. Inside is the Enterprise 1701D. And Picard's like, how? Jordy says that the software saucer was retrieved from whatever you know when it, the ship was destroyed and all that so he's been putting it back together bit by bit over the last 20 years and data's like strange she's like seeing it makes me feel and he gets like choked up and i think barbara's like you're not the only one jordy says uh you know obviously they can't use the enterprise e and Worf's like that was not my fault on board you know computer lights they turn, they're all standing on and they're just marveling over everything Jordy says, this is the last functional ship not tied to the Starfleet Museum. Picard says, you know, seeing them all here, everything like that all together, he realizes what he missed most was a carpet. Picard asks if he can take control, whatever he calls computer, gives his name, the ship's now under his command. He says he's reluctant to ask them all to face this threat, but Riker's like, you know, we're the crew of the Enterprise. He's like, more than that, we're family. And Troy's like, Jack and, you know, Jordy's girls, they're family too. And she's like, you know, we're going to get them back. And Riker's like, you know, where you go, we go. So all systems are online. Worf had commented about that the weapons aren't as, as sophisticated as, as like the E, whatever. And he, but then they're like, you know, set a course, Mr. Data. And he's like, engage. And they take off. So one enterprise ship against all the Borg and everything. We'll see. 
but that that episode i mean it was just it's intense it's uh it's like they're going all out and like i said one more episode so we'll we'll see where it goes if they can make it or if they're all gonna die all right titans is back and two episodes are up so we're in the middle of season four hopefully you remember where things left off the whole uh sebastian became turned by mother mayhem so sebastian blood is that his name and uh he's the son of trigon and they're basically going to use him to bring trigon back and destroy the world or whatever i don't know season four episode seven calls folly the the it picks up right at where they're at all the cultists are in the room they're saying azaras metrion zinthos sebastian finally starts emerging from the, the big pool of blood mother mayhem may whatever her name is tells him his transformation is now complete some of the cultists you know they come up to him they like kneel they pledge their allegiance to him he's like i feel different what have i become and she's like you are everything your power has will have no equal your followers will do anything you ask and he's like rise and he's like we must prepare for the journey ahead so she's like what's next and then she's like next we bring back your father then it's like six hours later uh the nightwing he wakes up from in in the room so does uh rachel and Corey and connor nightwing's like your dick's like you know where were we and Corey says that you know all she could see was darkness Rachel's like it was a death realm you know her, her powers sent them there tim gets up so he's there too and he's like you know, he's like, how are we still here? And Rachel says that Gar saved them somehow. She heard his voice in the darkness. Dick and Corey think that they heard him too, but he's not there. So it's like, where's where's Gar? And then Tim asks, um, you know, he's like, where is he? And Rachel says that she doesn't know. He's alive, though, because she would feel it if he wasn't. And Corey gets a, a flashback with, like, Sebastian when he asks if she was there to kill him. So she tells the others that, you know, she should have done it when she had the chance. And Dick tells her, you know, don't do that to yourself. They all made a decision to save him together. And Connor's like, did we, though? I thought you wanted to save him. I wanted to stop him. And Dick's like, maybe if you worked with us instead of going off on your own, you know, had to change the plan to save your ass. And Connor's like, and look where your plan got us, in a big B-movie Batcave. Or big empty big bb movie bat cave and all the bad guys scatter to the wind he's like take a bow boss man rachel tells connor she's like stop it and then she's like jinx died for us you know fighting each other is not going to change anything and there's like some pieces of stuff i don't know if it's like her remains or ashes or whatever tim's so she's like you know picking picks up so she has something in her hand and tim's like what are you doing and she's like releasing her spirit from this place of evil so whatever she has if it's a stone or something like that a piece of jinx i hope it's not a piece of jinx but it like kind of turns pink and it's like kind of like flower petals or what and kind of just like flutters away dick's like how did you do that and she's like i don't know she's like my powers are back but they're different and then he's like well let's go and connor's like hold on she's like there's something down here so on the floor, there's like some pattern stuff. There's like the circle part. He punches a hole in the floor, pulls out a box. He kind of blows the dust off, says LexCore on there. So Connor looks through. There's like a book of notes and schematics. And then there's also an envelope that has his name on it. He, so it's, it's from Lex. He must have planted it there to help us. And Dick's like, yeah, that sounds like Lex. Corey's like, why would Lex leave something here of all places? Connor reads, if you're reading this, my plan failed and May is as evil as I feared. You must stop her. The book contains information only known by me. Give it to Richard. He claims to be the master detective, so let him detect. 
And then and we're like, well, what else to say? He's like, the rest is just for me. So he hands the book to Dick. And they kind of like flip through it. So Lex, Lex knew what was going to happen. And Dick asked Corey um, if she can read some of the pages because it's like in Tamarind. She's like, no, it's an ancient Tamar- Tamaranian dialect, she thinks. Dick's like, well, I definitely know someone who can read it. So they start to leave. And Rachel's like, where's Connor? So he like took off. Later in the RV, Tim asks Rachel, she's like, you think Connor will come back? And she's like, well, I don't think he'd leave crypto behind forever because crypto's with him. And Tim's like, are you okay? She's like, I don't know. Well, he's like, you know, it must be good if she got her powers back. And she says that when she first lost him, she felt like there was something missing. But now they're back, but the weight is different. It's like the darkness is gone. Tim's like, well, that sounds like a good thing. She's like, yeah, sometimes I think that part of me fed off the darkness she's like i don't really know who i am without it then tim gets a text from bernard he doesn't respond because he doesn't know what to say because bernard said he wasn't combat he wasn't ready for combat and he was right so it's like what's the big deal and she tells him well you know at least let him know that you know we're okay now he says that you know they're still after sebastian may they, they all they have is a book from a dead lux luther to follow so you know how is he going to handle that he's like i'm not even sure how i'm handling it Rachel says, well, you can't just ignore him forever because you think he can't handle it. He's like, oh, you're right. He's like, maybe I should respond to my mom too. And she's like, oh my God. He's like, I know. Dick and Corey go to visit his friend. Uh, Dick says that Roberta is a little eccentric, but she's an expert in extraterrestrial languages. She knows everything from Klingon to Tamaranian. Corey's like, you know, Klingon's not a real language, right? And he's like, try telling her that. Knocks on the door. He's like, actually, don't. Door opens like automatically. Voice calls out that EMF hat whatever tinfoils by the door and dick's like oh, i think we're, we're good uh on the hats she's like okay your choice so roberta's this older lady she's turns in her chair she gives Corey like this heart stare and she gets up gives you know gets close to her and then gives like a big sniff and she's like no scent of sulfur must be a myth and she just keeps staring so Corey finds like Corey anders it's a pleasure to meet you and roberta's like says something in Corey's language she's like are you really tamaranian Corey holds up her hand, it glows, and her eyes turn green. And, and then she responds, I'm sh- in Cameranian, I'm sure as poop, not Klingon. Roberta gives out a laugh a couple of times. She's like, I was expecting orange light. She's like, why is yours blue? And Corey's like, well, I guess I'm full of surprises. Dick says that they need her help reading the book. And she's like, you know, prophecy. And he's like, you know about that? She's like, the end of the world? She's like, yeah, I know about it. So Corey says that she thinks the blood moon ritual has happened. And Roberta's like, uh... So there's a, a f- like whatever son of Trigon manifested manifested in the the well of blood here on our earth, and he has a horn, and they're like Dick's like what horn? So Roberta flips through the pages, and then it's it's there. She's like the one Trigon lost in his early battles with the first Tamaranian. It's protected by his followers. Only one with Trigonic blood can use it. And Corey's like use it for what? Roberta flips pages some more. She's like, to usher forth and welcome Trigon here on our earthly realm for his final dominion over humanity. So it's like, what is this book? I don't know if Lex wrote this book or if he found this book, but it's like, the, it's very convenient. All stuff's there and that Roberta knows she can flip and find it. <laughs> so she's like, basically, he's going to eat the world. And Dick's like, and how do we stop him? She's like, you don't. And she's like, she does. Corey, she's like, your light, when used as full powers, can end this, but it will end you as you are now. So it doesn't necessarily mean she's going to die. In the hall, Corey asks Dick what he thinks. He just shrugs it off. He's like, another day, another prophecy. 
and she's like she's a little concerned and he's like she's an expert in foreign languages she's not a psychic she's like we're really not going to talk about it he's like about what she's like the little part about me dying to save the universe he's like we're gonna find a horn and stop this before it goes any further in the rv rachel says that if anyone with trigonic blood can get the horn she's just as qualified as sebastian so they just need to get there first right dick's like theoretically yes but we just need to know where the horn is to do that Corey said that roberta translated part of the book um seems relevant but also makes no sense fire star explodes blood portal opens horn of power sounds tim's says he's like well what if it's not about the words he's like it's called gematria something like that he says it's like a semantic numerology in most ancient languages each letter has a numeric value so rachel's like (laughs) it's like like scrabble he's like no but sure He's like, basically, it's it's all over like biblical interpretations. That's how we ended up with 666 uh, being the, the, the mark of the beast from Revelations, even though it's about someone else with Nero or something like that. So he takes the words fr- from Tamaranian. So they, they assign some value to have the computer look for pattern. I didn't really get this part, whatever. So Dick goes, computer does it. Um, then you're like, so if blood portal means temple, then they're like having this map in this line here. And then they, they kind of match it up to something like that. He's like, Lex just gave us a location of the horn, which I don't understand how the heck Lex would know what this means, what, even how that, tra- whatever. So Connor walks into this like old factory. There's like laser sensors like down below. He just ignores it. Just, you know, he stops, he looks at it, just walks through. And then um, some like smoke or gas pours out, but he just like pries open this door. There's a lady on the other side. It's uh, at first I was like, who is this? It's, it, it would be nice if they told us because it's been so long, but it's Mercy, Mercy Graves. And she's like, you could have just knocked. And then she's like, so you found Lex's box and decided to listen to your father for once. He's like, I didn't know you'd be part of this. And she's like, is that going to be a problem? Connor's like, people died because of you. What you did to me, to Gar, you never paid for that. And she's like, would you like to kill me? Have at it. There's nothing I can do to stop you. She's like, I must say, I like the new look. Because he shaved his head. She's like, your father would be pleased. And then he's like, was that your job? Pleasing my father? And she's like, working for Lex Luthor was the greatest honor of my life. He was an extraordinary human being. He valued intelligence, hard work, and loyalty above all things. So she goes on about how he gave her opportunity that women or women of color never got. And he treated her with respect. And basically, he's like insulting her, saying that I'm sure he meant like sexually pleasuring. Then he's like, so why are you here? And she says that Mae Bennett, so Mother Mayhem, and her acolytes have taken over LexCorp. They were messy, but effective. Lex excelled at many things and and like, you know, reading people and their potential. Mae was one of his rare missteps. And she's like, you are not. So Connor says, well, maybe the Titans will stop her. And she's like, if you believe that, you wouldn't be here. So Lex felt that Connor was wasting his potential with the Titans. And he's like, well, what would you have me do? And she's like, avenge him, for starters. Take back LexCorp. That is your legacy. After that, be everything he created you to be. And then she's like holding a file. He's like, what's that? She's like, information your friends don't have. So Lex was preparing you know, countermeasures against what May had planned. She's like, I took this when I left the building. You have a choice, Connor. Take this and run back to the Titans or keep it for yourself and step into your true power. You are smarter, stronger, and more powerful than all of them. You don't need them. You can stop May and Sebastian on your own if you want to. But it's like he was there with the others and he was knocked out, whatever, taken out just as easily as they were. 
All right, so the RV's like in the middle of nowhere. Um, Rachel wonders if, you know, she's like, shouldn't she be able to feel the horn or something like that? Because, you know, if it's in her blood and there's a connection to it, they're talking, she's talking to Roberta about it. And she's saying that it could be lying dormant after all these years, you know, because where's the horn been? Maybe it's like buried or who knows. And it could be her power that brings it back to life, which is actually what's going to sort of happen outside. Um, Tim thinks that the GP, you know, they're looking around or like, as again, in the middle of nowhere, there's like some power lines, I think they're in this like empty road. So Tim thinks that the GPS is like messed up, but Dick says the uh, temple was 200 feet underground. So the horn could be two. Then this small car drives up and they're like, who's this? And it's Bernard. <laughs> and, you know, they're kind of surprised that he found him. So he says he's been trying to get a hold of him since they left to storm the temple and he hasn't been having any luck because Tim has been ignoring him. So he activated a tracking device in the RV and he's like, sorry. So Dick's like, you tracked us. And then, then he's like, that's fine. He's like, since you're here, we could use your help. So he mentions like the artifact could be anywhere. Bernard says that, you know, he'll contact Star Labs and have them, you know, send over satellite images. And then they're about to leave. And Tim's like, well, I'll ride with Bernard in case there's any questions. Bernard seems a little like, like nervous about this because he's, you know, the car is full of stuff. He brought all this equipment because he wasn't sure what he might need. So Tim apologized for not answering his text. He's like, it's been so busy. And Bernard's like, not responding was a response. He's like, and it's fine. He's like, this is a, a lot to juggle. He's like, and I get that. And he's like, so um, we should just be colleagues. And Tim's like, colleagues? He's like, friends then. He's like, but I, I think we should uh, keep it at that, right? He's like, just uh, focus on the mission. So they're driving. There's a sign for like a town called Call's Folly, which is the name of the episode. And Corey's like, oh, it's not even on a map. And uh, Bernard's car, just like awkward silence between them. And then they, they see the RVs ahead of them and it just like disappears in the road. Like it drives through a portal or something like that. They're like, what the hell? So then in the, in the town, like there's a speaker and the Pina Colada song is playing. So they're in calls, calls folly. They get out of the RV and Dick suggests they go to the diner first for coffee. The hostess or waitress, whoever, she looks a little nervous when they walk in. So she's like, oh, just sit anywhere. They sit at a booth. And then she hands a menu and she kind of gets like a shock when like her wrist touches Rachel and then she like leaves. Dick's like, what was that? And she's like, she's afraid. And Dick's like of us. And Rachel's like, I think so. She comes back with like water and Dick's like, what's good. And she's like, her name's Megan. She's like, call folly is good for two things. Date shakes, which I don't know what a date shake is. Like a a, you out on a date and you get a shake and a defunct salt mines. So then she leaves. So they're going to get two shakes and he wants coffee. So Corey says that the salt mines could be a promising place to hide an ancient relic. And then Dick says it, well, it should show up on the satellite images that Bernard gets from them. Then Corey's like, speaking of, she's like, I thought they were following us. And Rachel's like, oh, they had an issue to resolve. And they're like, ah, Dick says that he'll text and say that they got a bite. <laughs> and Rachel's like, she's like a sip, you know, a bite's a solid. She's like a sip is a liquid because they don't really have much. And he's like, thanks for that. And she just like smiles. Then he's like, no service. Great. So they get their shakes and coffee, but the waitress kind of spills a little bit. Like, you know, she's like nervous. And then Corey notices outside an officer's writing a ticket for the RV. And she's like, but that's a legal parking spot. I checked it. So Dick's like, well, that's a guy we need to talk to. And Corey gets up with him. Rachel says that she'll stay in there to see like, you know, what's up with the waitress outside. The officer's like, yeah, it's a legal parking spot for a vehicle under 12 feet. And he said, there's a, a you know big sign when you hit town it says big dogs like this are not allowed. And he's like, rules are rules. And Dick's like, yeah, I was a detective in Detroit. I totally get it. And he, then the 
detective or the officer, he's like, well, you know, the laws separate us from the animals, don't they? And Dick kind of like laughs. And then he extends his hand. He's like, Dick Grayson. And the guy's like, Dave, Dave Carter. And then Dick asks Corey to, if she can move the RV out of there and maybe check on Tim and Bernard. And Dave's, you know, so when they're alone, Dave's like, well, you can pay for this right now if you want. And Dick's like, that'd be great. So it's almost like, does he want to pay off or something like that? But I don't think that's the case. Then Dick's like, well, I'd love to see your setup here. And Dave's like, well, it's a far cry from Detroit. He's like, I'm sure, but it has its charms. So Corey drives out of town. She's, I think she's trying to get a signal. She approaches, uh, you know, you're leaving calls, folly sign. But then it looks like it's it's getting further as she approaches. So it's like, there's like this it's being warped you know distortion every reality whatever so she stops the rv she gets out she takes a step forward and then everything like shifts back and she's like what the heck so dick and dave are walking down the street and he's like we don't get many visitors here and dick's like oh you know it's not surprising it's not on the map and dave says well it takes a special someone to find them and then he's like what brings you through and dick's like oh antique hunting you know you know sometimes towns like this have hidden treasures and Dave's like, what kind of treasures? And Dick's like, you know, family heirlooms, things like that. Dave's like, well, you know, they have a few knickknack shops that he could poke around in, but he has an idea what he's looking for. And so they should talk. And he's like, are you a whiskey drinker? And Dick's like, are you a mind reader? And Dick says that, you know, he's off off duty in an hour, I think he said. Um, so, you know, they, they should meet. And then, you know, Corey walks up to them at, at this point. So Dave walks away. Then Dick asks Corey if she's okay. And she's like, not really. And she says, you know, she has to show him something. So she takes him to the town border. He, he gets out and she's like, go ahead and walk towards it. And then the same thing happens. He's like, what the hell? So she says that, you know, she tried every road. You know, it's the same thing. It's like they're trapped there. So you know, they, they can see the other side, but they can't leave. So the horn is supposed to be protected by Trigon's followers. So maybe they need, it to, need the horn to get out. He mentions uh, his like whiskey date, whatever, with, with Dave. And then Corey like kind of coughs and she's like, something's happened to her. She says she's feeling strange. At the diner, the waitress is off duty. Uh, you know, she hangs up her apron. She heads out the back. Rachel follows her and she sees her talking to like some burly dude. And he's like, you know, did she take it? And, and he like roughly grabs her arm. He's like, we have one chance at this. And Rachel comes up. She's like, let her go. And a dude like leaves. And the waitress, she's like, oh, that's just my dad. You know, he's he's a bit much sometimes. Then Rachel gets a little lightheaded. And the waitress like, are you okay? And Rachel passes out. And then the van pulls up. And she like kind of takes her to the van. Rachel wakes up later and her hands are tied behind her back. She's like in this old room. Like oh, there's just a cot. And uh, the waitress orders her like not to get up. And she like with a shotgun. Rachel's like, what did you do to me? And she's like, I drugged you and your friends. And she says it's Artemwood root. Uh, the prophecy says that it, it only works on someone with alien blood. And none of, so none of her powers work there. Her and her dad's with her. Her dad's like, you know, your, your friend from the diner. He's like, the son of Trigon, where is he? And then Rachel's like, how would I know? She's like, I've been unconscious. And she's like, and he's not the son of Trigon. He's like, you better start telling the truth. And she says that, she knows that they're scared. They should be, but not of her. You know, they're the good guys. And wait, Megan, she's like, we'll see. So Rachel says that they know about the prophecy, obviously. So her friend is not his son. The drug didn't work on him, did it? And then they think this over. And the waitress asks, you know, how did they get into town then? She's like, I'm the daughter of Trigon. And dad's like, the prophecy doesn't say anything about a daughter. And Rachel's like, well, here we are. She's like, and the man you're looking for, the son of Trigon, he's on his way and he wants a horn. She's like, look, I promise I'm here to help, but I need to know what I'm up against and I need to find my friends. 
So uh, Megan's dad, his name is Jacob. He sighs, and then he like tells his daughter, he's like, "Go on." So she says that Call's folly is, is magic. Jacob scoffs at that, he, and she's like, "Or curse, depending on your viewpoint." Jacob says they've been trapped there for years. The sheriff is like the keeper. He'll protect the horn to his death. And he, so he and the others, they've been waiting for the quote-unquote chosen one. They think that his friend is it. And Rachel's like, and what will they do when they find out that he's not? And they're like, they'll kill him. So Rachel's like, okay, if you free me, help me find my friend and Horn. She's like, I promise I can get you out of this town. And she's like, please? So Jacob says to his daughter, she's like, if she's lying, we're dead. And then Megan's like, well, I don't care. She's like, I'd rather be dead and spend another day here. So she unties Rachel. Actually, I think she, un- did she untie her? Tim and Bernard, they're on the side of the road, and Tim's trying to get a signal on some device. Bernard is like on the phone saying that he needs a satellite in the area right now, you know, because the images he has are like two two hours old or something like that. So then later they go to motel. Tim says it doesn't feel right to just stop looking, but Bernard says that there's nothing more they can do tonight. So they go in, they get two rooms, and the clerk's like, because she's like, are you your business or pleasure? And they're like, does it matter? So they asked for two rooms, and he's like, well, I think I can get you one with the adjoining you know, rooms. And they're like, that'd be great. So in the rooms, they're both restless. And then finally, Tim gets up. He like unlocks the door on his side, and Bernard hears a click. And then you know they're kind of waiting. And then Bernard clicks his side, too. So Tim gets excited and everything like that, checks his hair. And then he opens the door. He's like, I don't want to be just friends. And Bernard's like, me neither. And then smooch. So Dick's walking at night, goes to the sheriff's station. Streets are empty. There's like no one out. He goes in. He calls out. He's like, hello? There's no one there. He goes in the back. He starts looking around. And then sheriff calls out from the front. And he's got two deputies with him. And he's like, oh, you made yourself at home. And Dick's like, well, the door was open. And then the the sheriff's like, well, the cabinet wasn't. But it's like, I don't know if he actually opened the cabinet. But maybe he did. And Dick's like, just give me the horn and I'll leave. And Dave's like, nah, not going to work that way. And so they get in a fight. Tim gets tased, keeps fighting. He gets hit with a baton, like, in the side. They gets tased again. So it's pretty sucky fighting. He's only fighting three people. It's like Nightwing has definitely fought more than three. So they, he's down. You know, they, they get him up. They take him outside. And, like, the whole town's there. They're, like, waiting. Dick kind of sees them. And then he, like, like, passes out. And it's, like, to be continued, which was weird. So that was episode seven. Uh, season four, episode eight, Dick and Carol and Ted and Corey... It starts with this big mansion. There's like speaker playing music. Dick and Corey are lying in this big bed. They both like wake with the start. And then they, they see they're both like matching PJs and they're, they're confused. And she's like, who put these on me? And Dick's like, probably the same person put these on me. And she's like, we didn't. He's like, no, we didn't. And she's like, how do you know? He's like, I don't. He's, so music is playing in the radio. Dick turns the radio off. But then it's playing outside too. So it's like, what's with all this music? Because you know, there's all the music in town. So obviously that's going to be something. Then at church, there's a lady talking. Turns out it's May, Mother Mayhem. At first, I didn't recognize her because it's been so long since the last, you know, the, the season started. She talks about them guarding the horn, waiting for her and her son, patiently all these years. Then she brings out Sebastian. The crowd stands and they applaud her, cheering. So he speaks. He says his whole life he always wanted family, someone to protect him from the world, from himself. He never felt as though he belonged until he came here. So he finally knows who he's supposed to be. So may says that it's time she takes off his coat he goes um to this this this, like thing like days whatever there's like a bowl there it's like full of like molten liquid he like reaches in it's like kind of burning and everything like that he reaches to like middle of his forearm 
And then he pulls out the horn. It's like hot and everything like that. More applause. Mother Mayhem mentions uh, the girl who came to town claiming to be Trigon's daughter. They're like, she's a heretic. So the mother says that she could cause problems. And she's like, does anyone have a solution? And they're, they're like, kill the heretic, kill the heretic. So then, and the sheriff's there and the waitress, uh, Megan and her dad, Jacob. And then outside, there's like a lot. You know, sheriff looks up. He's like, oh, hey, birds. There's a bunch of birds flying around, which we've seen that before. So then Megan, the waitress, goes to bring food to Rachel, and she's gone. So it's like, where'd she go? What happened? At the, the big house, Dick and Corey, they head into the kitchen, and he looks in the fridge. There's like, there's half a quarter of milk. There's leftovers. He's like, Swedish meatballs. And they, they see that there's pictures of them, and the coffee starts on a timer, making like two cups. Because Corey's like, well, apparently we live here. And Dick looks at the pictures. He's like, oh, someone must have airbrushed them in. And they're like, why? Phone rings. Dick answers it. And some guy's like, Teddy, can you cover my shift tomorrow? He's like, I need some stand time. And Teddy is what the sheriff called him before, like before, after they beat him down. I forget what he said. And Dick's like, sorry, you have the wrong number. And he's like, oh, he's a jokester or whatever. He's like, I'll see you later or whatever like that. So he tells Corey there was some guy looking for Teddy. And she turns and there's a sign behind him that says Teddy and Carol's Bar. So she's like, they they drug them and they tucked them in. And it's like they could have you know slit their throats. And then Dick's like, when was the last time you saw Rachel? And she's like, yesterday at the diner. So Dick's like, let's get out of there. And they're like, where's the RV? So they get dressed, <laughs> what clothes they have. Um, Corey's like, almost like, it's like this orange kind of dress. And uh, Dick's wearing like a pink polo shirt and everything. So I guess it's whatever clothes that they had in there. And then they look at their cars outside. I think there's a Mercedes. I don't know if they're both Mercedes. Sebastian um, is like, where is she? You know, he's talking. And Mother's like, she was in a barn. And he says that he wants to see her because he wants to kill her for himself. And she's like, she's no longer your concern. And he like, says that she is because she's his last weakness, that he needs to sever the connection. And she says that he can't do that. And then he's like, who are you to tell me what I can or cannot do? She says that, you know, he doesn't understand Um and he's like, I do. He says that, you know, she doesn't know him, whatever. And he walks out. So Rachel's like sitting, she's like strapped to his chair. And then Sebastian walks in. So she says, it's like, wait, how did she get there? At first I was a little confused because he's like, where is she? And then he finds her. He like walks in. I think she's at the, might be at the sheriff's station or either at the church. No, she's in the, in the back of a church. So he comes in and she says that, Oh, you've gone through some changes, whatever. And he's like, stop talking. So then he takes a knife and he like kind of cuts her, her wrist. And he's like, it ends here. But then his wrist starts, he's got the same slash on, on his, his side. Then he like kind of slashes at her side and he, his side starts, starts bleeding too. So she's like, if you kill me, I I'll take you with me. She's like, you can't hurt me without hurting yourself. And then, then she's like, she knew this you know, mother, mother. It's like, she's keeping things from you. And he's like, that's not true. And then she's like, well, ask her what happens when you blow the horn. She's like, that's enough. And Rachel's like, you don't even know him. And he's like, who? She's like, Trigon. She's like, you're nothing to him. You're nothing to her. You know, it's like, your mother used you like mine did to get closer to him. He's like, you're wrong. She's, and Megan's like, she wants you to think that you're a god, but you're a tool, Sebastian. As soon as you let him in, you'll be a nobody again. And he's like, I am not nobody. And she's like, what? And he like storms out. And outside he's just like fuming and then he looks at, at his wound on his arm and it like heals and rachel's does too and then she's like thanks brother mother mayhem says to the sheriff she's like my son couldn't kill her but you people can and he's like yes mom <laughs> so then 
it's weird. It's like weird edits because then Mother Mayhem and Sebastian they get in the car. The radio comes on and he's like, "Oh, turn that off." He's like, because he started hearing it, and and she's like, "Oh, it'll go off in a moment." They drive, and they head towards like the exit, the the border, whatever. They like disappear out of town, so somehow they were able to to drive out of there. So Dick and Corey arrive at, at the diner in Mercedes. Inside, there's this woman. She's like, "Oh, hey, Ted. Hey, Carol." She's like, "We missed you at church this morning." And then Megan asks if they want their regular spot. If there's, you know, they usually sit at the counter, I guess. And she doesn't act like she knows them from before. And Corey whispers to her, she's like, what happened to, you, you know where that girl that we were with yesterday is? And she kind of looks to the side, whatever. And then she's like, sorry, she's like, I haven't seen her. The lady that talked to them when they came in, she's like, are you looking for the heretic? And then she's like, you should have been at, at church. It was a, a honey of a homily. She's like, now all that's left is a kill a girl and celebrate his coming. Dick says that they have to talk to the sheriff. To, uh, he says, Corey, they have to talk to the sheriff to find out what's happened, what happened at church. Then he noticed like the radio's on and it slows a little bit and they start to feel woozy. And the waitress brings him two coffees. And then Dick um, says that he started to forget, you know, where they were. And the waitress slides a menu towards him and she's like, don't sleep on the specials. So Corey opens the menu and sees a note inside that says, we need to talk about Rachel. Meet me in the back. So they both head out, which might be a little weird. The waitress standing by the van and Dick says, he asks, he's like, what do you know about Rachel? And she's like, we need to hurry. And then her dad comes at them with a shotgun. He's like, get in the van now. Dick quickly like turns the shotgun to like under Jacob's chin. And he's like, I'm not messing around. And Megan's like, like, they don't know. And you know, she's like, you know, she was in our barn and Dick's like, who are you? And Megan's like, he can't hear you. He's, he's deaf. He's like, we both are. And Corey's like, then how do you know what we're saying? And then Jacob says that they're both lip readers. So maybe it has something to do with the music, right? So they go elsewhere to talk in private. Dick demands to know what's going on. So they, you know, they said that they they took her to the barn to find out like what she knew, and either she got out on her own or someone got her this morning. And he says that you know they're probably feeling it already. The effects, you know, first they forget who they are, and that's only the beginning. In a couple hours, whoever they are won't exist anymore. And and so Jacob's like, once you're gone, you don't come back. So they're like, what is it, some kind of drug? And then he's like, listen. And you can hear the like, music playing. So Megan's like, it never stops. So like, the music washes away to old you. And then she's like, you know, look behind your ears. So uh, Corey looks at Dick's. There's like two little like dots or like something there. So Jacob's like, they install a receiver that swims right to your hippocampus. And he's like, being deaf is their little secret. So Megan lost her hearing in a swimming accident when she was 10. Jacob's was self-induced. Because he said he didn't want to forget his life and his children. But he's like, he only has one kid. So they, they destroyed everything else. The whole town, they burned it to the ground. They turned into an interdimensional bank vault for the horn. And he's like, at least that's over. They got the horn this morning. They left town about an hour ago. And Corey's like, if they blow that thing and I'm not there, Dick's like, we will be. He's like, we'll find rate. Then he gets dizzy again. Jacob says that a cooking syringe and a bottle of gin makes the music stop. And Dick's like, he's like, well, get earplugs. And he's like, that won't work. He's like, nothing works. Like candle wax and tinfoil. So Bernard comes into the hotel room and, and with coffee, Tim sleeping. He says they need to go. He finally located Starfire's spectral signature. Because even when she sleeps, she gives off a geomagnetic pulse. So it's, it's a couple miles up the road. There's a little town, some old mining town burned down like 10 years ago. So they drive to this radio station and Bernard says that the fire must not have reached it. He's like scanning his device. He's still reading traces of Corey. Tim like knocks on the door and like nothing. So they go inside and Bernard says that 
you know, he looks at the equipment. He's like, oh, this could reach listeners like 100 miles away, you know. And then Tim points out that there's some muffled music playing in the distance. So they go out back and there's a dude sitting in a chair with like a boom box. And Tim's like, what are you doing out here? And he's like, waiting for my dad. So at the big house, Dick shows Corey a couple recorders. They're like bright colors. And he says it was all he could find. So she's not, not really impressed. He says that Bruce trained him for brainwashing thing in a case in, in case uh, he and Constantine had a, a row. And she's like, we don't have time for a Bruce trick. And Dick says that, you know, one of his fears was losing his mind. So they have to do this, record some memories because they're a map of who they are. They can use it if they lose, you know, if they forget, you know, where, where they're at. So Corey, she's like, this is peak daddy BS. He's like, and you fall for it every time. Dick says, he just like doesn't even address that. He's like, painful memories are more vivid. They'll center you. They'll make you more impenetrable. And they'll help drown out the music. And she just like stares at him. He's like, it could work. And she's like, yeah. And if you're a psychopath. So Dick's like, Sebastian, his mother, have the horn. He's like, you know what that means, right? And she's like, I know. He's like, it's worth a try. And then she takes the blue recorder. She leaves in the pink one. She's like, it goes with your outfit because <laughs> of this pink polo shirt. So they, they go separately. They record. Dick talks about like when he was 13, his parents and his life changed. She's talked about her grandfather dying and stuff like in Tamaran. And then they talk about like time on, on Gotham, um, like Hank dying. She mentions when she thought Dick was dead and everything like that. Um, in a bit, Dick comes down and Corey's like vacuuming the drapes or something like that. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, you know, they really should be steamed. And she's like, I'll call a service tomorrow. And he's like, we really should get to Rachel. And she's like, who's Rachel? So Corey's gone. The The guy outside the, the radio station, his name is William. He says that he was away at camp when the fire started and the radio station's all that survived. He comes out there every day. He says it may sound crazy, but he can feel his dad and his sister out there. So it's obviously it's Jacob and Megan, right? Because Jacob said he had kids. Inside Bernard's, he looks at the equipment. He's like, he doesn't get it. The reading on Star, Starfire went dead. And that's because she lost who she was. So he wants to go back to the lab, but Tim's, he wants to stay. And he says his mom used to have feelings called that she called sun dogs, which I don't understand that. Tim's like, I'm not leaving. He's like, my friends are still out there. And he's like, William has a feeling, you know, they should trust it. Bernard, Bernard wants data. He's like, he says that he doesn't trust William's feelings. Um, so he's going to go back to the motel because the Wi-Fi is better there. And Tim's like, well, there's no reception. He's like, how am I going to get out of here? And Bernard's like, well, maybe a sun dog Uber will arrive. So he's kind of a jerk about it. And then Dick talks to Corey or Carol. Um, he tells her that she needs to listen to this. He plays a recording. He's like, sound familiar? He's like her, her recording. And then she's like, Ted, I think we should have turkey burgers for dinner. And he's like, my name's not Ted and you're not Carol. Then she's like, did I do something wrong? And he looks and he's like, no, it was me. He's like, I fudged up. And then he out the window, he sees like a bunch of birds flying outside. He's like, I got to go. And she's like, oh, please don't leave me. He's And he's like, I would never leave you. So you know there's something up with the birds from before. Because they had gathered when Mother Mayhem did something. So they drive to the church and she's with him. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to drop something in the collection basket since we missed this morning. And she's like, oh, you know, she thinks it's sweet. And she's like, Brother Blood be with you. And then there's like a lot of birds outside. So inside the church, a sheriff's standing there and Dick's like, give her back. And sheriff's like, Teddy, old man. So Dick's like, where is she? And sheriff's like, well, how about you relax? Like, maybe understand what's on the line here. She's like, walking away from your, the old you is going to be liberating. All your disappointment, failures, losses, they aren't yours anymore. And Dick's like, I'll give you one more chance. But then his deputy goons, there's like a lot more like walk in. 
And he's like, you should be grateful. She decided to convert you, you know, make you part of her church instead of kill you. She sees real promise. So I, I think maybe like, like 10 deputies came in. He's like, you can play an important role in our future. Then the radio comes on. So there's like a shout out to Ted and Carol because, you know, something is still on the line or whatever. And Dick puts his hands to his head. So I don't know if he's starting to change. He's losing himself. In the back, a couple deputies come in on Rachel and she asks if they know what they're doing. She's like, killing Trigon's only daughter might not be the best idea. She's like, I got the mark on my back if you want to take a look. The one deputy, uh, one of them raises his gun. He's like, not my problem. And she's like, well, it might be when uh, Trigon returns. Carter tells Dick, he's like, I have to hand it to you. He's like, you held on longer than most. He's like, but Vinny told him not to worry. It's like, who the heck is Vinny, right? So he pulls out his gun, but then Dick grabs his gun, like hits him. Sheriff's try shooting, shots go wild. You know, he's like spinning him around. Deputy's duck. Dick twists his arm back. The gun goes flying out of his hand. Others start rushing him. Um, He... Dick does well against like the first three and knocks him out, but then he gets hit in the side by a baton. Two grab his arms and he headbutts the guy in front of him. One comes from behind him with the, puts a baton around his throat. In the back, second officer says, he's like, oh, just get it over with. And the first one's like, but she's got the mark of Trigon. And then they're, they're like, well, they say she's a heretic. Like, you know, that's what mother said. And then she's like, the truth is, it doesn't matter who pulls the trigger. She's like, you're both going down. Dick manages to grab like a hymnal from like one of the pews. He hits a guy with it, hits another guy. He uses like the break free from all of them. He gets hit from behind, but he sweeps the legs, flips another guy. <laughs> he lands like on top of the back of a pew and it just like breaks. Uh, this other uh, guy shoots a shotgun at him, but he like dives for the pew, you know, shoots a couple more shots at him. In the back, the first dude hears like the shots outside. And then he's like, well, if the sheriff wants her dead, he can do it himself. Then the second guy pulls out his gun and Rachel kind of, she like whistles and she like looks at the other guy. First officer is pointing his gun at the second one. And he's like, just put the gun away and let's just get out of here. In the church, more fighting. Dick like throws the book at someone. He, he scrapes some guy's face against the back of a hymnal. Flying kick. They're like, they're all Looks like they're all down. In the back, two guys are arguing, you know, just put your gun down. And the guy's like, okay. So he goes to put it in a holster, but he doesn't do it all the way. Pulls it back out, shoots the first guy in the leg. And then the, the first guy shoots at him. They both like shoot each other and they're, they're down. And Rachel's kind of like shocked by this. But the second guy, he's still in the game. He struggles to get up, points his gun at Rachel. Dick comes, knocks him out. And then she's like, took you long. <laughs> took you a while or something like that. Then he, she's like, where's Corey? And Dick's like, that's a long story. Outside, he explains what they did. It, you know, she's not really there. They did something where they wiped her memories. Van pulls up. Jacob comes out and says that they opened the armory. The whole town is coming after him. And Dick is like, well, where's the radio station? And Jacob's like, you can't go there. He's like, no one ever comes back. And Rachel's like, well, if you want to get out of town, we need to know where it's at. So Bernard is comes back. Tim and William are like looking at records. He has a coffee and an extension cord. So he says that, you know, they're having feelings. Feelings are real. So maybe his friends are out there, but in a different dimension. If, you know, if they, they're there, then he thinks that he can get a signal through. The sound waves have been known to um, cross temporal planes or something like that. So if he can get some through, you know, maybe if they just turn up the decibels. And Tim's like, did you just say pump up the volume, Bernard? He's like, uh, I guess I kind of did. So he says his car is electric. It's basically a giant battery. So they can plug it into the aux unit or something like that then william's like can i play a song and they're like yeah you can play a whole set so he goes on a microphone he's like dad megan he's like if you're out there this one's for you at the farm jacob's like just looking outside megan walks up to him 
and he tells her that they're they're headed to the station and she's like did you tell him that's not a good idea but then he starts singing she's like what we're singing now and then she knows the song too so he's like singing even though he can't hear it but then she's like kind of saying the words saying the lines and jacob's like i can hear it in my head he's like william's out there she's like that's impossible so dick Corey, and rachel they get to the the radio station and um Corey's like we're not supposed to be here and he's like well, we'll just be a minute and the the music almost gets to him but then rachel's like like dick so he comes back to his senses so Corey's just sitting in the front seat and she sees the two recorders and she grabs one but she grabs the pink one which was actually dick's inside the station dick's like it looks like someone lives here so dick's recording is talking about um cory after they hooked up and because they didn't really talk about what happened he and he's like you know after she walked out he's like i should have just said how i i i felt you know it was so close but instead i just let her walk away dick says um he thinks that Corey or carol was right that they shouldn't be there he, he says carol so he's like starting to change then a couple guys come out and they attack ted and he goes down because now if he's ted he's not gonna fight like dick rachel she grabs something and throws it at one of them and then you know ted quote unquote ted looks at her and she's like i'm rachel from detroit he gets some flashbacks we see like stuff from like season one everything like that and then he's like dicks back takes the two guys out he goes like a uh grabs like a fire crowbar axe thing opens the doors like nails shut there's this dude who's kind of like um strapped to this like not it's not really a table but it's like something he's like hooked up to radios there's like all these tubes and everything like that he looks like almost like he's mummified but he's not he's still alive rachel says she's like she's like i think these tubes are filled with blood and then dick starts smashing them so where bernard tim and william because they're in a radio station too but they must be in a different dimension i guess because it starts like sparking in there so dick tells the guy he's like turn it off and he pulled you know breaks some more pulls some tubes smash the stuff and the guy's just like kind of standing there in a daze so th- this guy's actually Vinny. and then uh then you know he's smashing at the control center and rachel's like it's like dick stop it, you know it's 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 over so then Vinny's like it's too late the horn is gone and soon he will come and he like groans and then he either passes out or dies so i don't know what happened and dick's like let's get out of there they just like leave him there he's like whatever so then um, there's a power surge at the other station and they're like, let's get out of here. So the sky's all shimmery outside and then the, the shimmer's force field starts to recede and then William sees Jacob. He's like, dad? And Megan's there and they hug. And he's like, I knew you were here. And then Jacob's like, it's over. And Rachel walks out of the station. She sees Tim and Bernard and Tim's like, where's Dick and Corey? So Dick I don't know if he's still on the other side. It's like, wait, what's going on? He goes up to the car and Corey's not there. But then the sheriff comes up to him with a shotgun. And he's like, it could have been so beautiful. But then Corey pops out of somewhere like off camera. Somehow the sheriff doesn't see her come up, which I don't understand how that's possible. And she just like punches, knocks him out. And then she's like, Dick Grayson. And he's like, Corey Anders. And she's like, what happened? Dick's like, I thought I lost you. And then the others walk up. So she's like, I use your recorder trick. And Dick's like, painful memories works every time. And she's like, it wasn't the painful ones. Because she was it must have been him talking about how he feels about her that woke Dick took her out of it, brought her back. So then Tim calls out, he's like, Oh, welcome back to reality. And Dick's like, How'd you find us? And Bernard said that Tim had a sun dog. And Corey's like, What's that? And Tim's like, it's just a hunch. And then Dick's like, Instinct, Robin instincts. 
So Rachel's like, can we get out of here? We have a horn to catch. And Dick says, asks if they've heard from the others. And Tim said that they've heard nothing from Gar or Connor. Um, so then they, and they just like kind of wave to Jacob, Megan, William. They don't even say anything to him. And they just like head out. Then Tim joke, jokes as they're walking. He's like, you look good in pink. Then uh, the last scene is in Metropolis. Sebastian, I'm pretty sure it was Sebastian. I was like, wait, is this Sebastian? Because I'm not familiar with what he looks like. He's like having tea. Waitress comes up with a whiskey. She's like, oh, a friend sent us over. He look, looks behind his shoulder. Connor's there like wearing a suit. And he walks over with his own drink and he sits. And Sebastian's like, what are we toasting? Connor raises his glass. He's like, to the future. So whatever Lex's other plans for, for Connor, Connor's obviously doing his own thing. And it's so stupid how Connor is so corrupted by Lex somehow. And it's just, I don't understand it, but that's how it goes. So uh, I don't know if Connor got Lex core back, but he's wearing a suit and he's going to team up with Sebastian. So we'll see. So that was the end of the episode. All right. And now the movie feature is Renfield. So this, this movie, this was... (laughs) This was a lot of fun. Uh, I and when I first heard about this, I it feels like it came out of nowhere for me. And and sometimes I don't know how this happens, you know, because I, I do check the news uh, every week, you know, report on it. But every once in a while, I don't know when this uh, first was in the development. But then it's it's like Nicholas Cage just playing Dracula, and I'm just like, what? And so, and then the other thing, as I watched the movie, here, here's how like oblivious I am to some things. I didn't even realize Robert Kirkman like did the story. He like pitched the 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 story, and then you know someone else. I did, I think, did the screenplay. But I was like, how how do I not know this? And and that's that's pretty bad. So the the premise of the movie, it's it's basically it's Dracula, and it's it's really interesting when when you think about because this is from Universal and. I feel like you know Universal is is kind of I, I can only imagine what the execs are, are thinking because you know you're you're trying to build franchises out of out of everything because you know you need to keep the stockholders happy and be profitable and all that and just when when did we see the mummy you know Tom Cruise is the mummy and they were supposed to do that that whole dark what was it dark universe no dark was it Dark Universe? I don't. It wasn't. I can't even. I. I'm trying to. Maybe I'm trying to black it out. But we were supposed to have this big monster, like cinematic universe with Tom Cruise, you know, as the Mummy or whatever he was in that. And then you know Russell Crowe was supposed to be Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. You know, we saw him in the Mummy, and and it didn't do well. <laughs> the Mummy. The Mummy was. Uh, I, I I talked about it in one of the secret podcast episodes. I forget which one it is, but it was um that was something, and and it, that was a movie I didn't see when it first came out because, you know, just word was that it was not good. So you know I don't know what it is with this Tom Cruise guy. So then it, I'm sure Universal's like, oh crap, what are we gonna do? And you know they we we saw um, the Invisible Man. Was that through Universal? I'm, I'm trying to think about that now, but that that was I thought they did a really good job with that. So you know there there is some it, it can be done. You know you can take these classic monsters, and I love the the classic you know Universal Studios you know monsters and all all that. There's been so many attempts in that, and and it feels like with the classic monsters, 
that if you try to do them today, there's just this huge risk of it coming across as cheesy. It seems there's like a lot of them, even though there's they're quote unquote classic concepts. I mean, they're so brilliant. It just seems like trying to execute an, an update just is is difficult as as we see you know there are so many amazing horror movies you know that are suspense thrillers whatever you want to call them but it's like they don't really build on on the classic themes because and there's just something about it maybe it's because it's just a different time or i don't know and maybe part of it is because you know it's black and white and things were you know easier to hide in shadows and and now everything's just like you know hd and imax and and it's all right there in your face. So with Renfield, it, rather than try to do it seriously, you know, let's do it, a, a comedic approach. And I think that's brilliant. I, I, I think it's, there's nothing wrong with it. So it's, it, you call it a spoof, whatever you want. It, it's it's funny. It's entertaining. And we have Nicolas Cage as friggin' Dracula. <laughs> and... You can see, I mean, when I first heard about this, I'm like, all right, this is going to be interesting. And it was exactly how I thought he would play it. It is, it's over the top. It's cheesy. It's hammy. It's, it's perfect for, for what we have here. Now that obviously is going to take away this, you know, suspension is just, you know, it, it's, you're, you're, you're not supposed to take this movie seriously, but that's, that's totally fine because it, it just all works. So Nicolas Cage plays Dracula, you know, it's, and he's, he's Dracula. There's, there's nothing, no, no changes, no tricks, whatever. He's just this evil dude that wants to eat people. And then Nicholas Holt plays his familiar. So he's this dude that kind of fell into the, the charm or whatever of Dracula and became his familiar. So basically his job, he has like a tiny portion of Dracula's powers but his job is to go out and bring Dracula food, people, victims, blood, whatever. And the way Nicholas Holt Renfield gets his strength, you know, he 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 can enhance his strength and his ability by eating bugs. So whether that adds, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I, I know a lot. I mean, I've seen so many Dracula movies. I don't know if the bug thing is a legit thing. Because you know it's it's a living creature. He says he's eating their life essence or something like that. But he's and I don't know if that's a choice. It, I, it seems like that's what he's he's doing. Because you know if he has a portion of Dracula, what happens if he has human blood? Would that change things differently? Maybe because you know if he if you watch the trailer, you know anything like that? You know Renfield's he's kind of a good he's basically a good guy, even though he got mixed up in this bad deal. Whether he was completely tricked or maybe he was. Uh, slightly looking forward to it, you know, whatever that's for you to decide. You know, so I, I wasn't really clear if he can only have bugs or if that's the key. Cause like if maybe if he has human blood, cause he's not, I don't know how the vampire stuff works. You know, he has a portion of Dracula's strength. So there's part of it in there or powers or whatever. So he eats bugs and he gets amped up. Now the idea is he, he's just like, He's like, I don't really want to do this because he's he's not a bad guy, and he's he we see him in a support group, and like for like abusive relationships and 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 that, and he it starts off where he basically started going to these groups because it's like okay I need to bring victims to Dracula, so maybe if I go to the support group for abusive relationships you know I can sit back and listen, 
And then these poor victims, survivors, and I shouldn't call them victims, these poor survivors that are in these abusive relationships, they're like, hey, I'm going to help them out. I'm going to take the like the dirtbag, whatever, abusive a-holes that are tormenting, ruining their lives. I'm going to feed them the Dracula. And and as he sits and listens, you know, it, it kind of opens up something. Then he kind of realizes like, hey, I'm not that different from them. You know, I'm surviving. I'm in this horrible situation as well. I'm at his mercy and his abuse and whatever. And and I can't get out because, you know, he's he's trapped and you know and he's he feels hooked there's a connection so he can't just walk away because you know and that's how it is in, in a lot of cases where you're just you're kind of stuck where you're at for whatever reason and you know he but he wants to be be a good guy now mixed in with this we have you know a side story that that kind of crosses over with, with renfield we have aquafina who plays a cop and you know she her her father was like this awesome cop who who's killed in the line of duty and you know she would love to do that but she can't quite play the game the way it's supposed to be so she's stuck doing like DUI checkpoints and stuff like that and you know and but she that's not what she wants to do she wants she wants to get like a revenge or she wants to avenge her father not revenge of she wants to avenge her father and there's this evil drug uh, family in town who may or may not be responsible for what happened to her father. The The thing is, because they have all this power, they're kind of untouchable. So she knows who they are, but, you know, and she wants to go after him. And that's where things kind of, kind of um, cross over with, with Renfield. Cause he, he gets kind of mixed up in, in this story as well. Now the, the, one of the, the drug family dudes is Ben Schwartz. And I, I think he's hilarious. He was in parks and rec. Was it parks and rec? Yeah. Right. He was a, he was the one. With, I forgot his name in the show, but he was also in um, uh, what was that space with Steve Carell? That they did two seasons, and I, I talked about in the show. But he was he was in that. <laughs> Just look at Ben Schwartz on IMDb. Uh, so he, he he's he, I think he's hilarious too, and you know he he he's plays such as like he's usually like a slimy jerky a-hole douchey you know whatever guy and that that's what he plays here um aquafina she's not my favorite you know she's not my favorite comedian and what what i tend to find and you know i there, there's certain comedians that are kind of like this where whether it's how they normally are their personality or whether it's their shtick their their hook uh I, I find her her you know she she kind of speaks in a monotone which you know you can't help that you know whatever that that's that that's not really issue but just kind of the, the the comedy it's almost it's it's kind of like a I don't know if it's a dry comedy because I, I like dry humor but it's almost like she has like this kind of chip on her shoulder just kind of this attitude where everything's just I don't really know how to explain it because like like when I saw her in like Jumanji too I'm like oh man um so you know no offense to her as as a person or anything like that i don't know her and and uh you know people i know find her hilarious and that that's great so normally and it's not that i don't like her it's just she's not my favorite comedian you know if you want to you know word it like that but i will say she was great in this i i actually really liked her in this role and i i think her character really worked having that kind of attitude and determination you know what her her goal was 
and then just how she interacted with with Renfield and and with with the the villains and all that I I just I found it worked out so I I really enjoyed the cast here you know so with with Nick Cage with Nicholas Holt and with Aquafina and Ben Schwartz and it's just it was just a really really fun movie and and again it's it's cheesy it's over the top and and there's parts where like there there's some there's blood and there's there's violence and there's some like severed torsos and you know arms getting chopped off and just because like when the the vampires amp up you know it's, it's you can just tear things apart and <laughs> and that's where you know does it get a little a little over the top a little eh, that's a bit too much but that that's what makes that's when you start laughing you know because we we tend to sometimes. I don't know if it's like a def- a coping mechanism, a defense thing, or whatever. When when sometimes something's super violent, it's just like oh my goodness, and you know it's you're like in disbelief or whatever. But uh, so you, we we get some some wacky like heads getting smashed and bodies just obliterate. You know, it's you're talking vamp- vampiric super strength. So there is a story there. You know, there's comedy, but it's not like over-the-top comedy you know i wouldn't say it's like pure comedy i don't even know how i would describe this i mean i I guess it's a comedy but i i just i had a lot of fun with it and i just i adore nicholas cage when he just dives in and embraces you know allows himself to just fully immerse his his essence into a character and that's exactly what what we get because i feel like with Nicolas Cage at, at his point, you know, he, it would be so easy for him to just dial it in. And I, maybe he is, I don't know. Maybe it's just that easy for him, but he just, he just really hams it up. And I have to think he's fully aware of this, you know, especially after the unbearable weight of massive talent, which if you have not seen that, you need to see that him and Pedro Pascal were, were, were amazing in there. But I, I, he's, you know, he's got to know what it is and, and what he can do and and he does it here so it it's definitely worth worth watching i don't know you know it it didn't do super great with the critics but it seems like does anything really do super great with the critics i mean some things do i i think it might have been like a 60 something percent if if that i think the audience was a little higher so you, you know you have to go into it you know, you're you're not looking at at like classic dracula you know it, it's not a serious movie at all it's it's not even trying to be but it's serious enough and it's funny enough and you know and there's a story things are a little cliches things are you know maybe a little predictable at times where certain things happen and you know whatever but most things are like that anyways and and like i said it was just it was a lot of fun so i recommend renfield i i think it's worth checking out is it a do you need to see it in a big screen I mean, I, I, it's hard to say. I, I almost think like, yeah, everything should be seen on a big screen because it, it's you can appreciate things more. But as as far as no, it, it's it's not like crucial to see it on a big screen. But if you want to just you know embrace the theatrical experience or movie going experience, then then you, you should try to see it. And also, you know, it's an, it's important to support these movies because you know that this this isn't a franchise. It's not a sequel, is it? Well, it's of whatever re it's not i wouldn't even want to call it a reboot or something because it's not even trying to be like it doesn't even have dracula in a title you know so it's not trying to to uh what's the word i'm looking for we're not trying to leech off the name of dracula even though it's 100 percent dracula 
so it's I it's definitely worth checking out. I, I I would say you know and you know it's directed by Chris McKay, which I didn't mention that and you know so it's just it was really fun and and funny and entertaining. So that was Renfield. You should see that. And I didn't think I'd be able to talk about it for like almost fifteen minutes. I I was just say yeah it was good. It's funny and, and gruesome and funny. It's all that and more. So you should check that out. Um, but also what I guess I should say is thanks for checking out the podcast this week and every week and whatever. So that is going to be it for, for this week. So big thanks to Dave McPhail and Andrew Loken because they are big supporters of the show. You can be a supporter by going to patreon.com slash gman from heck. Any amount you can commit to will be awesome. If you commit at the Rick Jones tier or higher, you get access to the secret podcast from heck, which is an additional 30 minutes of podcast entertainment every single week. Uh, last week I talked about Stephen King's The Mist from 2007 uh, it was Thomas Jane I had never seen it before strangely somehow I never saw it uh, so you can hear all about that and uh, this week I'm probably going to go back to Fantastic Four John Byrne's Fantastic Four I, I can't get away from it and um, I'm trying to think what the next issue is I, I think it was something cool so yeah so you can check that out and sometimes I talk about other uh, comic book topics and so forth. But if you can't commit to a monthly commitment, you can also help out by going to coffee.com slash heck, and you can buy me a virtual cup of coffee or two. And that is ko-fi.com slash heck. So what about next week? Or this, well, yeah, what am I seeing this week that you're going to hear about next week is going to be Evil Dead Rise. I'm, I guess you could say I'm super looking forward to this. I'm, obviously I'm, I I'm a, a little nervous, uh, but I I think it's uh, yeah. I mean I I I absolutely adore the Evil Dead movies. I I love Sam Raimi. I love Bruce Campbell. So now we're back with Evil Dead, but it, it's an Evil Dead without Bruce Campbell. Which you know we had the other Evil Dead movie, and I did like that. It took me I couldn't bring myself to watch it when it first came out. And, you know, this is probably stuff I should talk about next week. But I, I enjoyed that. And this one, um, it's it's directed by someone else. It's directed by by Lee Cronin, who did this. What was that movie he did? Something with a, a hole in it. Um, hole in the ground, I think. And and that was that was a good and freaky movie. So I think that that that's a good thing. I, um, the trailer look, looks interesting. It looks like maybe it's... I, I don't know if there's going to be comedy. I, I've only watched the, the, the first trailer, teaser. I think it was a trailer. Uh, I don't know how much comedy there is going to be in there because it almost seems like it, it, it's kind of natural that, that you put it in there. So we'll see. I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I want to love the movie, but I'm, I'm, I have high, high hopes or standards or whatever. So we'll see how that goes. And then other things, uh, I'm trying to think what else. I, I, I do this every week where I'm trying to think of, if anything. I feel like something, I always feel like there's a new show starting. But yeah, um, we'll, we'll see, whatever. So that's going to be it for this week. I'm, I'm just sitting here talking to myself now. <laughs> I don't even know if you're still listening. You're probably like, okay, I'm out. Bye. It's over. So thanks for listening if you're still listening. <laughs> um, just take care of yourself. Do some fun things. But importantly, you can help. You can make a difference. Just remember, be good to each other. 